So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle Cast, welcome back. It has been a great week on The Bizzle Cast. I know I haven't been putting out stuff as much uh, in, in recent weeks. Uh, I've been busy with work and some other projects, but I've also been waiting to get some particular guests. I've got Simi back on. I might have some other special guests that haven't been on in a while, maybe from Australia. I'm not going to name any names. We will see. Some new people who might be joining us. But I am always thrilled to have on senior Star Wars contributor and now Marvel contributor as well, Jedi Geek Girl from the I Rebel podcast. Welcome, Jedi Geek Girl. Thank you, Biddle. I am so happy to be back. It is great to have you back. And as I've said to Maddie G and Simi and maybe one other person, uh, you're in that category of like when you say, hey, you want to do a podcast? I'm like, yep, when? <laughs> so... Well, you flatter me, and I always enjoy our conversations, so... Well, you're a fan favorite, and I, I, I said that during our Raylo podcast, and I continue to say I have not heard a conversation like that, and the fact that we can have such a conversation in such a mature uh, you know, way, um, I, 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 you know, I, I, I love that stuff. One of the many reasons it's been great to have you on the podcast, but there's been huge Marvel stuff in the last few months, and you know, I'm not the biggest Marvel fan, the boy, even though I like uh, some of the Marvel movies, I'm you know, not the guy who loves every MCU movie, but it's been cool seeing you get into get into it a bit. I certainly didn't get into it into 2014, which is sort of what launched the podcast, which was, what, six years after Iron Man. So I was a latecomer as well. And, you know, I, I think you and I, whether it's Star Wars or, or Marvel, agree that, that you know, the, the last thing we want to do as fans of these properties is give people a hard time for being late to the party or whatever, right? Exactly. We always, we always want to be in warming. We always want to warm people and invite people to the fandom because we want to share what we love. And that's what fandom should be about is expressing and sharing a love and inviting others to join us. Not so much, you know, judge or critique them or saying you have to be this or believe that. But yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so, obviously, guys, I've been talking about the announcements and sort of the fallout and sort of extension of the announcements of uh, Marvel with Kevin Feige and all the amazing stars that we love from the MCU movies at um, Comic-Con 
Um, but Jedi Geek Girl and I were also at Star Wars Celebration back in April. And uh, Jedi Geek Girl, what I think is interesting, and guys, just a loose table of contents. There's really not a table of contents. We're going to be talking about Marvel and Star Wars. I think we, we agreed we're going to talk first about Marvel because it's more recent and then go back to Star Wars, which is our true love and our original connection. Um, but uh, Jedi Geek Girl, it's interesting how the, the, you know, the conversation post-celebration was like, Star Wars is murdering uh, Marvel when it comes to already talking talking about amazing Disney Plus shows, and now Marvel has sort of come back with, I would say, at least three shows that I'm extremely excited about on Disney Plus. We're going to get to that. Um, But on the other hand, I'm actually excited for lack of news coming out of the film or TV camps of Star Wars. I'm a believer in no news is good news, for the most part, with these projects. What is your thought about that kind of split in um, the sort of public conversation? And is it inevitable after $3 billion for Avengers Endgame? I think one of the reasons why Star Wars, quote-unquote, had more interesting shows is because more was known about The Mandalorian, and we knew that the Cassian show was coming. We knew that there was Marvel TV shows coming, and a lot of the fandom knew what they were, but I don't think they were officially announced, and we haven't seen anything from them besides the logos, so Star Wars has kind of beaten... Marvel to the punch when it comes to that because we, as far as I know we have seen, seen nothing from the Marvel TV shows but at Star Wars Celebration we saw a trailer we saw a clip mm-hmm. we saw screenshots mm-hmm. so it's kind of interesting that Star Wars Lucasfilm got ahead to that because you would think Marvel would beat it to the punch but I can't blame them because they had their hands full with you know Infinity War setting. I'm sure that this past year has been like setting up Phase Four behind the scenes, if not the past two years. So I'm pretty sure they've been busy with that um, because they knew that the Marvel Plus was coming, and they're like, okay, we want to tie this into the TV show, but we also want to make sure it's appropriate because the production of a TV show and a movie on a different time schedule. So they want to make sure that the logistics of it are matching up, mm-hmm. and not to take shade. Uh, and give it a tick shade from one company to another. But that's something that Lucasfilm isn't really doing. But they they aren't as bad as... I'm gonna I'm gonna fire some shots. They are not as bad as Warner Brothers and dare I say Sony. I mean, the Joe and Anthony Russo, the directors of Captain America the Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, and the final two Avengers movies, which are four of my top six to eight movies of all time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, came onto the Star Wars show and just absolutely gushed about Star Wars, said that they were mostly inspired by the redemption story of Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars in general when pitching the Winter Soldier, talked about Kevin Feige's Star Wars collection. We're going to start with Marvel, but the the Marvel people are not scared to make Star Wars references, as uh, unfortunately Tom Holland and Spider-Man, sorry to see you go, that's just business, buddy, that's just how it works, but the Star Wars references from Spider-Man on up, uh, we've seen throughout, and we certainly see in, in the filmmaking of, of Marvel and, and it would be so dumb for them to pretend otherwise and, and they're so open-minded and, and open um, uh, just with their feelings and thoughts about things to, to share that stuff I thought was really cool so I have a question for you yes sir yes, uh, ma'am. Peter pa- let's, let's say so in the or universe sir, ma'am like king like uh, like Tessa Thompson she's the king so you want to be the king or the queen whatever you want go ahead uh, anyways, uh, we know in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars exists. It is referenced by Peter Parker. Peter Parker is, what, 15 or 16? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marvel is our world just with the Avengers. Yes, absolutely. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. So a lot of the references he's been making has been to the original trilogy. Don't you think based on his age, he would be more, I don't want to say into, but more referential to the prequel trilogy well, I think, from a realistic I th- point of view? That's a great point. I think the jo- the sort of extended joke in Civil War, where he's trying to describe to them about wrapping up giant Ant-Man with, with, the, with the ropes, and he refers to the Empire Strikes Back, but not by name, was he was trying to relate to the old guys who he was fighting with, thinking that that was the movie that they would know. I think was the joke, especially because he was like, you remember that Star Wars movie where they went around the thing with the thing? You know what I mean? I, I think that's what's going on. I could be wrong. Oh, yeah, totally. But in his room in Homecoming, he has... Probably is a Natalie Portman po- poster in his room. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there, there should be... Uh, it just seems like to, for it to be more realistic, regardless of what people think about the prequels, mm-hmm. just his age, you think that he would have some sort of swag from the prequels, you know? But that's just me nitpicking. Speaking of which, quickly, and then we'll get into the main topics, your prediction initially that I got on board with about Natalie at Celebration ended up being Natalie at Comic-Con. That is one of the most brilliant predictions of all time that was just like three degrees in the wrong direction. <laughs> and You know what I mean? But ended up being essentially what happened. She chose Marvel over Star Wars, but that's because they have a role for her at Marvel. You know, Amidala is dead. Um, and I think that was ultimately the thing was, you know, if you listen to my Thor commentary in 2015, I'm about to give an old Mizzle story to lead into Marvel about Black Widow, the Scarlet Witch and so forth. When I started my podcast in 2015, if you look back on the Thor in 20, uh, my commentary on Thor in 2015, which is from 2011, one of my favorite movies is the original Thor, especially Thor and Jane Foster. I always said that he and Jane Foster needed to end up together. And this, of course, is the best possible way to do it i was absolutely thrilled why don't we work backwards that was the final announcement in the fi- you know the final confirmed date late 2021 uh is thor love and thunder with tessa hemsworth and natalie portman coming out to jaggy girl i'll be honest people love black widow at this point and some of the other characters and then we're going to talk about it but the screaming and excitement you could just hear from the crowd in the videos when natalie portman came out and took the hammer from taika waititi just continues to make me smile and i keep posting that photo on bizzlecast like once a week just to remind people how beautiful it was what did you think of that whole thing i was so excited i am so looking forward to that movie having jane foster become thor natalie portman is so exciting but that movie is like i'm a huge thor fangirl like thor is the one i connect with of the three i love him to death and he's the most attractive of the three, in my opinion. But anyways, so we knew that we were getting more Thor. That was not, you know, a we wild did not guess. Know. We did not no. know. We hoped, no. and people like me had heard that maybe it seemed like he was going to be the one. But I was nervous because I've listened, sorry, really quickly. I've listened, uh, just to uh, self-critique, I listened to some of my podcasts post-Avengers uh, Endgame where I was very concerned because it seemed obvious that Hemsworth would be the one to stay. Uh, but I was concerned that he wouldn't. So uh, you might have more inside information than me. I was hearing they wanted him to stay, but they hadn't signed anything. So I'm thrilled this is happening. He he also indicated that he really enjoyed the role as well. So I guess I just assumed 
that it was a safe to say that we were going to get more of him, at least two more movies, Thor 4 and Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which looks like isn't going to happen, maybe. But anyways, so I was excited because, like I said, I love Thor and another Thor movie. Yes, please. And then, of course, we have Jane, the return of Jane Foster as female Thor. And then we got... The Mighty uh, Thor. Excuse yep. you. the Not female Thor, the Mighty Thor. Correct. As Taika corrected himself. Yes, it's a habit that we all of us have to shake. Um, To see her as the Mighty Thor and the return of Tessa Thompson and then having her officially being the first LGBT uh, character in Marvel. And as Feige, I think, said, she will not be the only one. It's really really exciting uh, because Thor ran uh, Thor 3 was amazing it, it's a little interesting at times just a moment where it feels like weird and wacky and unique but it's 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 highs are so high for me yes uh, really really quick of all the disappointments in phase two and phase three and i had a bunch including guardians too the one i expected to love and was disappointed with the most because i expected to love it the best was thor ragnarok however i was very open that i of all the directors who didn't do as well as I thought. Taika with Thor had enough high points and had enough clearly good chemistry with the actors and comfortableness with it and the way they integrated that into the final two Avengers movies both dramatically and comedically. I mean, Korg playing Fortnite is so hilarious. And uh, I, I, I'm just, I'm just hell yang you that Taika is the one I was like, give this guy another chance with Thor. And this seems like a story he's actually more passionate about and interested in. And now he doesn't have to set up anything. There's no Infinity Stones. There's no Thanos. He does, you know, there's no Hulk even, really. Like, we don't have to worry about that. He can just tell this tale of Tessa, Natalie, and Hemsworth, all of whom are on my crush list. Exactly. And hopefully it will... I don't want to say tie things up, but one of the things I love about the third Thor movie is you take that film, Infinity War, and Endgame, and I watched them back-to-back pretty close together, and the arc that Thor goes on is absolutely amazing. Chris you Hemsworth is a genius actor. Robert Downey Jr. is a legend from decades ago. Chris Evans is so lovable as Captain America, and Captain America is my favorite solo movies. Just in terms of execution, we will get back to that. But I agree with you in terms of my personal favorite and the guy with the highest ceiling of talent, both comedically and dramatically, as well as his great good looks, is definitely Chris Hemsworth as Thor. It, 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 it's also so heartbreaking breaking because you watch the third Thor movie and you get invested in that and you see how it ends with Loki and Thor for the first time since the beginning of Thor 1, I would say. Really, truly on the same side. Loki was there. Obviously, Loki is going to be Loki, but it's, it's kind of a sweet moment. And then Infinity War opens and everything is it's gone it, it kind of like reminds me of the opening of alien 3 mm. you know what i'm saying it's and how al- movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, so how like uh, aliens end with you know her ripley and the, the child ripley and the guy you know surviving and then alien 3 spoiler opens up and they're all dead except ripley, ripley so hmm. 
Hmm. But but yeah, watching those movies back to back, like I've been rewatching a lot of Marvel movies and I know a lot of people probably watch <clears> them <throat> months apart each other, but I recommend watching those three movies back to back within a week. I, I, I think seeing that arc is really amazing. I would also add just the Nebula and uh, Gamora uh, subplot of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which even though I loved those actresses and those characters before Guardians 2, and I really didn't like Guardians 2 overall, Rickert was great as Yandu, um, but I was blown away by the sort of sister relationship that we never see in big budget movies as complicated and dark and interesting as cool and funny as Zoe Saldana and Karen Gillan as uh, Gamora and Nebula. And boy, does that pay off in Infinity War and especially Endgame. I agree 100%, and we have to go there. I don't want to talk too much about it because I hope we can do a commentary, but that's one of the reasons why I... See, at the time, when I watched Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I'm not a huge fan of it. I wasn't really invested in it. But that dynamic in Captain Marvel is one of the things that really... Bring, uh, attracts me to the movie and why I like it so much is the relationship, uh, the friendship and the history between Kill and I forget what's her name and th- not only that their relationship but their relationships of Kill's friend daughter, you know, that they, they were they were tight knit before that was broken up and that's something you don't really see a lot of more, more or less in Marvel movies and I just really enjoy that and it, it's nice seeing that more and more prevalent and I gotta go back and rewatch Guardians of the Galaxy 2 especially after watching Endgame because you know Endgame is like the payoff of that and stuff like that and now that I'm really into the MCU again I probably get I'll probably get more invested and stuff like that but you're absolutely 100% correct okay so quick quick not final word just capping word on, on Thor here and then, if you don't mind, I want to talk a little bit about the Scarlet Scarlet connection, which is what part of what I talked about early in my podcast with Scarlet Johansson's Black Widow, who was already a superstar, but was doing an amazing work bringing in Black Widow. And then uh, Elizabeth Olsen that came out of nowhere. And I did multiple podcasts specifically about Hawkeye and Elizabeth Olsen, but specifically Elizabeth Olsen as, Haw- as Scarlet Witch in my early podcast, being like, this girl's a superstar, and because of her role as the Avengers and the X-Men in the comics, she's going to end up being the most important uh, character going forward, uh, especially given her performance in Ultron, which is still my favorite Avengers movie. Sorry, guys. Spoiler alert. The business favorite Avengers movie to watch over and over again is still Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, but, um, uh, but Jay Giko, really quickly, um, I think that that Thor, Chris Hemsworth is so brilliant that to me, it's all about the material he has. And that's why he, like Robert Downey Jr., is better in the Avengers movies because when they have the best writers, but specifically Joss Whedon and the Russos for one and two and then three and four respectively, when they have the best directors that Marvel's ever had who do the four Avengers movies, I like Iron Man better in the Avengers movies or even in sort of a pseudo Avengers movie like Captain America Civil War. And I like Thor better in the Avengers movies just because they have the better directors. Um, and, you know, Captain America's uh, solo movies have been great, but you really can look at Winter Soldier and especially Civil war as extensions of the avengers movies avengers 2.5 avengers 3.5 maybe we'll get into that um or so forth but why don't we save hemsworth 
um, because there's tons of praise and I am totally on board with you about his absolute brilliance. Um, and even if he wasn't like one of the most good looking people in history, he would still be brilliant. Uh, but I mean, it would have been so dumb for Marvel to let him go and they are extremely, extremely smart to keep him. Uh, but Jake, you really quickly, I'm telling you, I bet you Chris Hemsworth made the call to Natalie. I bet you they were making um, headway and they were really pushing hard for Natalie. But they had, and I will stick with this. This is my Jim Cassian thing. I think that that, that Natalie Portman and Chris Hemsworth and Thor 1 and even the beginning of Thor 2 when she's in it, have the best personal physical chemistry, regardless of what happened to the relationship in the movies. I love Pepper Potts and, and Gwyneth Paltrow is very adorable with Robert Downey Jr. Obviously, Peggy Carter, spectacular. I adore Haley Atwell. You know, I wish we had had more Haley Atwell. I hope we have more Haley Atwell going forward. There's a lot of great relationships. But if you watch the first Thor movie, the sparks that are flying between Thor and Jane Foster and, and, and Kat Dennings is just sitting there watching the whole thing and making jokes about it is absolutely spectacular um so i do hope we get back to this but if if you will allow me to talk about about my uh, beginning of this podcast in relation to this for a couple minutes and then i'm going to throw it to you about the new announcements and you can go anywhere you want sounds good so I started my podcast in the beginning of 2015, but I started to think about it in 2014 when me and my dad went to go see Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Now, we had seen some of the Marvel movies. I'd seen the Avengers maybe once in movies and then on you know Blu-ray, whatever. I liked it. I liked Joss Whedon, um, but I wasn't bought into the comic book things. I grew up reading X-Men, and X-Men was sort of in like a no man's land at that point. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't so crazy. I thought Captain America was a stupid character growing up, but we went to see Captain America the Winter Soldier. Me and my dad love good spy thrillers from the, Bo- the better Bourne movies to like The Accountant to, you know, like, like subtle but dark adult, uh, you know, spy um, mystery thrillers. And we could not believe in a PG-13 Marvel movie what they got away with in terms of a dark, very dark, uh, 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 you know, action movie thriller. Um, but also the buddy story between Scarlett Johansson, who we had already loved in everything she had done, and Chris Evans, who we had never heard of before other than The Avengers and fell in love with Captain America immediately. So I saw that. I knew Star Wars was coming back in the end of 2015. And then what locked in the Bizzlecast starting was at the end of 2014 in October, I'll never forget, Chadwick Boseman announced on stage with Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. to be the Black Panther. But more so than that, as thrilled as we were about Chadwick Boseman, was that Wakanda and Black Panther in Africa were going to play a central part in this phase and every phase going forward. And that was like, okay, I need to start taking this seriously. And so I started doing like Star Wars hits just to see if I could stand the sound of my voice and do podcasts and so forth in early 2015. But then I saw Age of Ultron, which I liked way more than people then. I still like way more than people now. I don't feel like I have to justify myself to anyone. I love fucking love Age of Ultron. I love Joss Whedon. Even though I love the three and four Avengers movies, I still will love the Whedon ones more for a lot of reasons. Some have to do with Whedon. Um, But more so, it just got me going on the podcast. And I absolutely loved Hawkeye and the Scarlet Witch, uh, Wanda Maximoff. Well, both both Maximoffs. You know, obviously this head death of Aaron Taylor Johnson, who's now getting some huge film roles that he deserves. He's been a brilliant actor since he was a kid too. Elizabeth Olsen, obviously being an Olsen, been acting since she was a kid, but really nobody knew who she was. 
and recently, Jelly Girl, you might have noticed I did an hour and a half long tribute to Scarlett Johansson, but specifically Black Widow on the Bizzlecast, just solo, me talking with really no breaks, just going on about how much I love uh, and respect Scarlett Johansson, specifically love the Black Widow character, and I'm thrilled that people love her. And let's be honest, as of the May 1st release next year is the Avengers movie. I mean, that's usually the Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy or Captain America Civil War. Next year, it's Black Widow. That's their Avengers movie. That's their billion dollars, you know, Captain Marvel, billion dollars to billion and a half that they're hoping for with Scarlett Johansson, a relatively small unknown cast other than her um, uh, doing the movie. Female director, Scarlett's having tons of creative input, obviously doing a ton of her own stunts. She looks jacked as hell. I cannot wait to see it. They're placing it after Civil War, which I'm thrilled about. I didn't want a full-on prequel. That's the perfect time to do it. Either after Winter Soldier, after Civil War, it seems like after Civil War, I'm thrilled. And so my Ultron coverage and my com- early commentaries for Ultron and uh, uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier were heavily focused on praising Scarlett Johansson as the Black Widow. And certainly she has gone from being liked to being loved to being one of people's favorite characters. A lot of, you know, some people's favorite character. Um, but certainly, you know, the original six in the final Avengers movie making $3 billion is interesting. You know, they really focused on the original characters and that was the one that really spoke to people, um, which is one thing I want to talk about. But I really, really fell in love as an actress, as a performer with Elizabeth Olsen in uh, Ultron. And this wasn't in preparation for this podcast, Jackie Girl, because I didn't know when we were going to do our next podcast. But I listened back to my Ultron podcast. So from like September 2015, so that's before Force Awakens came out. Jesus Christ. Um, that's a long time ago. And I said, there's something about her with her crazy powers, where whether she's mind controlling Tony or blasting energy into the ground or into the robots or, you know, killing Ultron or whatever. She understood how to move her fingers and her arms and her body to manifest those powers. But she also had that crazy look in her eyes that Wanda Maximoff has in the comic because you're just waiting for her to go crazy. And spoiler alert, guys, about 15 years ago in the comics, Wanda Maximoff as the Scarlet Witch goes totally crazy as she's the daughter of Magneto and kills almost all the mutants in the world in an event called the House of M, which informed for at least five or 10 years, great X-Men, X-Force and so forth comics after that um, and is still informing today how many X-Men died, how many mutants in general died around the world because she goes crazy. I actually think the combination of uh, WandaVision and then her dealing with Doctor Strange and my prediction is she's going to deal with Loki after that as well is going to drive her absolutely crazy and that's the perfect way to reboot and reintroduce the X-Men into the MCU in this new era is to have her kill most of them and then introduce the few that are left probably in the form of X-Force, Deadpool, Cable, Hope, X-22 hopefully, Laura um, and so forth from Logan. Um, so Jake Girl, I, I know this is a little bit of reminiscing on the Bizzle side here but I guess what I'm saying is Scarlett Johansson is always going to be number one on my like awesome badass female actress list and it's not even close i don't know who's second in terms of number of great properties they've done this with but in terms of like someone who's introduced since the original six that i keep wanting to see in movies and love the ass kicking of thanos in the final one but even more excited that she has her own show and basically her own co-movie with dr strange is wanda maximoff 
in uh, uh, starting in an Age of Ultron and, and coming forward. And, and that being the prediction, not that I'm most proud of, but I'm just so happy that it's come true um, with her and Vision, but her in particular. So I will throw it to you because we start with Black Widow and then we got the uh, Winter Soldier and Bucky on TV shortly thereafter. We've got Wanda in the middle with WandaVision on TV and then her with Doctor Strange right after. I love they brought her back on the stage twice. It was great. And she's even said in the media, Jagged Girl, actually, Elizabeth Olsen, who's normally very humble and reserved, that she thinks the arc of the, of, uh, the Scarlet Witch is to be the center uh, of the new Marvel era. And I don't think she was being cocky. I think she was seeing what I'm seeing and what nerds are seeing, which is the connection between the Avengers and the X-Men in the comics with Wanda um, in particular, and obviously her talent. Um, but also Black Widow being the first. She was kind of exploited and over-sexualized in Iron Man 2, and no one knew what to make of her. She was already a huge star, Scarlett Johansson. Arguably, of the original Avengers in 2012, only Robert Downey Jr. was more famous than Scarlett Johansson. But in that era, Scarlett was the number one most famous and most booked actress. Um, so the fact that she's been paid the least, that's a whole other issue. She's finally getting paid now. Um, but she didn't have to do this movie. She didn't owe it to us. Um, and so, you know, Black Widow is a property that I'm the most confident is going to be great because Scarlett is always great in this role and in any role related to this. But the actress I've been most fascinated with since the Bizzlecast started in 2015 has been Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch. I'm sorry for blabbing. I'm now throwing it to you for an extended period, whatever you want to talk about those two or other female characters. I'm sure we'll get to Captain Marvel. Go ahead. There's so much that we can talk about. I'm looking at the timeline right now. Yeah. I'm looking at the timeline right now. And we start phase four with Black Widow and we end with Hawkeye. Yeah, it's going to be about the next generation. But I think it's so cool that we are starting phase four with one of the original six. And we are ending with one of the original six-ish. And in a way that these characters have been a cornerstone of the Infinity Saga, but they weren't the headliners. That was usually Hulk, Thor, Captain America, and Thor as well. So for them to start and end, I think I might have said one of them twice, Phase 4, I think is so cool, but I am 100% with you. I'm looking at the timeline right now, and the I way... Mean, 4 out of the 10 are Team Cap. you got two Wanda movies, if you Wanda properties, if you include uh, Doctor Strange, which you have to, because they introduced her as a co-lead. You've got Winter Soldier, Bucky. Uh, you've got actually five, excuse me, two Wanda movies, Winter Soldier, Bucky, Black Widow, and Hawkeye. So five of those 10 properties that they introduced are Team Cap, essentially, which is really interesting. It's also if you look really at Civil War, which is, by the way, I believe one of your favorite of the MCU movies. It's really interesting because there's a meme going on right now of the picture of, from Civil War of Iron Man team. And, like, all of them are X'd out except Black Panther. And Warhammer's legs are X'd off because, obviously, you know, Spider-Man's not going to be in the MCU. Iron Man's dead. Vision's dead. It's just kind of ironic that only, like, one and a half people are still alive from that team. But, anyways, I don't think the placement of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is... A, a accident. I think it's 100% intentional. I think Multiverse of Madness is going to be the civil war of this phase, if you know what I mean. It's going to be the turning point. It's going to be the Winter Soldier, a game changer um, moving forward. 
I, I think that's pretty obvious, and I'm really excited for that one because, like you, I'm a huge fan of the Scarlet Witch, and I'm a huge fan of Doctor Strange too. And them both together is really interesting, and I'm curious to see what they are going to do with the X-Men and how they're going to have her and a role in it. I don't think it's something that you pick off. I don't think it's a concept that you introduce into the MCU. All these mutants were just around and they would never, you never saw or heard of them. I think it would be kind of tough to digest. But I mean, we'll, we'll see. And But I think a lot of things will change in the MCU with that movie because of what she is capable of. And it's right there in the title, Multiverse of Madness. So multiverse and madness. And like you said, Scarlet Witch has a history of madness in the comics. So. And in some ways, she's more powerful than Doctor Strange. In some ways, he's more powerful than her, but he doesn't have the time gem. Well, I don't know. Does he have the time gem now, actually? I'm not sure. No. No, no, not in this timeline. Not unless she, not unless she gets it back. But Cap goes back and gives back the time stone, so he would have given it back to Tilda Swinton, which theoretically would have landed in his lap eventually. Right, but they're from different time planes. So, and it's Doctor Strange, unless he ju- jumps to another time. Okay, well, as as film lovers and critics, let's assume they decide to break from the Infinity Stones thing, which they should, and just say Doctor Strange doesn't have the Infinity Stone anymore, right? I I agree 100% with you uh, on that and stuff like that. But anyways, I think that movie is uh, is going to be a a game changer. But I want to talk about Eternals for a second. Eternals is something that's really interesting to me. I think that movie is going to do a lot of setup from what I know. I don't know a whole lot about the movie. Yep. I do know that you're right. Keep going. You're right. Well, I think I'm going to go a different direction than you think. Then you're thinking about I might go there. But the first thing I want to say. But the first thing I want to say, and the second thing might be what you're thinking about, is is the Eternals have ties to a young uh, Thanos. So I think that's going to be interesting how they incorporate that. Now, correct, and it also could be a way of them setting up the X Men. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Because they that's exactly what they're doing. That's the tie. That's going to be the tie to both the more powerful X Men and the Fantastic Four is through the Eternals, I believe. So, but, but I wonder if the MCU X Men are going to be the Eternals going to explain how you know the, the, maybe the, the mutant gene is dormant and Scarlet Witch activates it or something. Some, you know what I'm saying? It's I just, such an I, easy retcon to say that her and her brother had the mutant gene and Hydra just exploited it through their experiments. And they even act like mutants in Ultron. The way when they get angry and upset, their powers get stronger. I mean, it, it, that that's like one of the easiest retcons of all time. I don't know if they're going to go that way. No, no, I, I actually 100% agree with you. I just cannot buy that mutants have been around since day one of the MCU. You know what I'm saying? Time I loop. just Timeline stuff, time loop. It's got to be the timeline. That's what they're going to have to do. I mean, there's been at least three, two or three resets. So X3 apparently never happened, last stand, right? And then X-Men Days of Future Past reset the timeline again. But then Logan seems like an even another timeline that's different, that branches off from what we've seen with the X-Men, even though they've been setting it in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, respectively, in the new X-Men movies. Side note, my biggest concern is they've had two spectacular giant X-Men casts now. I don't know how they do a third one from scratch, um, but that's what they're going to have to do. Um, But 
but I think it's going to be the time loop stuff. I mean, once Ant-Man introduced the quantum physics stuff that I predicted specifically was going to happen in Avengers and did happen and I was thrilled happened and I thought they nailed it because of the character drama and getting to see all our old movies again from new angles and new scenes like Thor and his mom, which was absolutely heartbreaking and beautiful with Rene Russo, for example, and some different stuff from New York and Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Now that the timeline stuff has been basically, you know, back to the future in both X-Men and Avengers, they can they can wreck on anything, Jedi Geek Girl. I'm not saying I agree with it or love it, but I think at this point they almost have to with all of these different stories because I agree with you. They can't just say, oh, the X-Men, you know, because they're level 10. I mean, Jean Grey, Professor X, and Magneto are like level 10 out of 10, you know, uh, uh, powered people, period, on the planet, mutants or otherwise. They can't just pretend they never existed. I, uh, I'm definitely curious to see how it, it will be done. I, that's one of the things I don't really care for when it comes to the X-Men movies is the timey, not really whiny, but the time, like when I first watched Wolverine, the first Wolverine, the Wolverine origin, the bad one. It's horrible. It really frustrated me, the inconsistency that it has with the, at the time the original X-Men movies and First Class was like a, I, I, I knew what it was and I really enjoyed it even Days of Future Past it was okay but it, 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 it's really I'm I like one consistency in the timeline it's just got really convoluted for me I'm not a f- fan of it but I'm definitely looking forward to see how the X-Men will be introduced in the MCU, but I'm not as highly invested into the X-Men, but we have this conversation before. I know what they should do, and what's in front of them is that the Deadpool X-Force rated R uh, scenario, which deals specifically with time travel, but is for adults, like the X-Men comics, but especially the X-Force comics, it is in front of them. They have Deadpool, they have Cable, they have Domino, they have Lara slash X-23, and um, uh, uh, what's her name? The young, the young girl, who's now a young woman, who's, you know, going to be way old enough to be a regular in these movies. Daphne Keene, in a year or two, who's starring in the Dark Material series, among other things. She's a spectacular young actress, was amazing in Logan. I mean, Jelly Geek Girl, on small budgets, the most critically and profitably successful X-Men movies ever are Deadpool and Logan which were extremely dark and rated R and violent. And while one was very funny and one was just very dark and serious and Logan, which is one of my favorite period movies of all time, period, 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 Logan, um, were easily the best thing that they've done. And even the movie The Wolverine that took place in Japan, if you watch the director's cut, is rated R. It was originally supposed to be rated R. They wanted to do rated R. X-Force is the way to do it. It's violent and adult in the comics, and that's what they should do in the movies. But Kevin Feige likes to joke about making everything PG-13, and so I'm just concerned that, I mean, if they PG-13 Deadpool and X-Force, it's going to be a big problem. They're going to lose a lot of fans. I I really hope that's not the case, because that is where the successes are coming. I agree with you. The X-Men movies have been substandard. I love Days of Future Past. It is flawed, but I love the cast, and so it's a flaw of the producers and the writers more than anything else in my opinion because the actors are absolutely great even the new cast with sophie turner and so forth it's not their fault that these movies have been substandard but that's just the way it is but i would put them in the rated r universe make it rated r in the theater and then put it on hulu which they bought specifically to air their rated r uh stuff uh, just to put it on hulu and it's going to be part of the package is what i would do personally so 
I want to get back to the MCU in a Go. second. But when it comes to the X-Men movie, I like one. I like two. Three is eh. Origin, awful. The Wolverine, I have not seen. Logan, I have not seen. Future's Past, I loved. Um, um, First Class, I loved. Uh, Apocalypse, I have not seen. Dark Phoenix, I have not seen. Deadpool 2, I have not seen. Uh, Deadpool 1, I saw and loved. So it's kind of been like a mixed bag mm-hmm. for me, but, not, but I haven't seen all of them. But getting back to the MCU for a second, when it comes to time travel, what we have seen in Endgame, time travel works... It had its own unique way. It's like if you go back in time like they did in the film and you mess around, it doesn't change the present that you your, your time plane, which it is a time loop. It's a, it's a whole with the whole Captain America thing. But let's ignore that for a second. When with Loki, like Loki, original timeline, Loki, he still dies. Now, Loki has the space thing, so maybe he can jump, you know, dimensions. But the lo- that the, the Loki from Thor 3, he's dead. You know what I'm saying? That version of Loki is it, it's like Gamora. You know, just because or, or when, um, what was her name? Uh, Nebula kills herself. It doesn't kill herself. You know what I'm saying? They kill Thanos, but Thanos' events still happen. You know what I'm saying? Just because you do something in the past doesn't. So the way with them messing around with the X-Men, I don't see it as something changing in the timeline. You know what I'm saying? I see it. I, I see it more of a dimensional thing, more than a time thing, because it's it, it's it's said in Endgame that they don't follow the same rules as Back to the Future and other time movies. It they, they, it's time planes that they jump to, if that makes any sense. I mean, my problem with the Eternals is multiple. One. If you're going to murder the X-Men, and by the way, for the record, this is Fox's fault. This is not Disney's fault, okay? Fox screwed up the franchise with an amazing cast and even some great directors and a couple good writers and great composers and so forth. They sc- Those four movies should have all been spectacular. And the fact that, like, Days of Future Past was great, X-Men First Class was really good, and then I actually like Apocalypse on repeat viewings. That's lots of problems. I didn't even see Phoenix because of how poisonous the con- controversies and re- reactions were around it. I was like, I'll just wait to see this movie because I love these actors, and I don't want to see them be horrible because of terrible material. But mostly, Jedi Geek Girl, I'm done with Thanos. And my problem with all of these Phase 3 movies... Um, and this is both a critique, by the way, but also a praise of Captain Marvel that I'm going to get to, is the colorful Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor Ragnarok, Doctor Strange, Ant-Man vision of Marvel to me was never as interesting ever as the ground-level Joss Whedon Avengers from 1 and 2 with Widow, Hawkeye, Thor, Hulk, Cap, and Iron Man fighting ground... Even if it's alien invasion, you're in New York. Thor is in, uh, you know, in, on Earth. Loki's on Earth. Everyone's coming to Earth. And even in the Thor movie. Everything in the Thor movie that's great it happens on Earth. Natalie Portman, Thor, Loki, it's all on Earth. It's way more interesting than the cosmic stuff to me personally, even though I like Guardians 1 and I like some of those other movies. What I like to Captain Marvel was they brought the cosmic stuff back to Earth. 
I also liked in Captain Marvel, side note, which I've never mentioned, the fact that they made the cosmic colorful vision, to me, much more appealing and less just stomach-churning in terms of being overly saturated and overly colorful, the way Guardians, Ragnarok, and Strange could be at times. The, the, you know, at the beginning and the end, it was very colorful and explosive with Captain Marvel in a movie that I thought was flawed, you know, just to be, you know, full, you know, disclosure, I had problems with the Captain Marvel movie, not with Bray, but with the movie, um, but it being overly colorful, I actually think they started to ground it again, um, and... The, but, the, but the idea of the Eternals of, you know, these ancient powerful beings defending Earth for us from other beings just cheapens everything that the Avengers have done to this point in defending the Earth from various invasions and Thanos and so forth. I don't want to see gods fighting gods. You know, Wonder Woman fighting Ares was different because Wonder Woman was such a, a revelation as a film experience for me personally. Uh, but, you know, more gods fighting gods on behalf of Earth is just not interesting interesting to me i actually i look at i'm glad you brought it up because i look at the eternals and of the 10 introduced properties that's the one i skip over mentally immediately and say i'll give it a chance but i think it could be the inhumans which is people hate it and they take it off in two weeks it, it could go either way what I, I what i have looked into i think it's supposed to take place in a far distant plant a past hence the reference to thanos and it might have Thanos pants, but anyways, hmm. you know, from what I have gathered looking into it, it is supposed to take place 10,000 years before the current timeline. So it, it's supposed to be, a, so it might be gods versus gods, but it's so far in the distant past that I don't think it matters, at least to me. But I think the prime, like if every movie I'd has cool a purpose. Like, 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 if I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, like, if every movie had a purpose, mm -hmm. I think Eternal's purpose is going to be introducing the mutant gene. I think somebody from the internal is going to be responsible, not necessarily for creating it, but influencing it. Because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but don't the aren't the internals the people who are responsible for the Inhumans? So the first mutant ever that's known. No, 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 no. For the, for, from because well, they change things. Oh, uh, the Inhumans. So I dislike yeah. the Inhumans. I've read the original Inhumans. I've read the new Inhumans. I've 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 tried right. to get into it. It is a cheapened, lamer, way lamer version of the X Men. Right, it, right, right. But, yeah. but 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 the point I'm that trying to Agents make is Agents of Shield was based on and was the downfall of that otherwise really good show. Right, but my my point is my point that I'm trying to make is that that the internals have a history of messing with genetics uh, on a level. So the MCU isn't always connected with the comic. They don't always follow the comics. It's, it's a little bit different. So what if the Eternals do the same thing? They mess around with some, um, or dis discover, or they're responsible, or somehow connected with the X gene. Because now that uh, Marvel has the X-Men back, they don't have to do this. They don't have to focus on the Inhumans because the reason why they did the Inhumans was because they, they wanted to move away from the X-Men. So uh, that, that, that's the point I'm trying to make is, is I, I, I believe the Eternals in the comic universe are responsible for the Inhumans. But what if in the MCU, the Eternals is what will start the dominoes to, of the mutants being introduced in the MCU. You know what I'm trying to say? I, 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 I don't. Do you want the com do you want the actual comic? 
lore perspective, like the official Stanley Jack Kirby perspective on this, which is while Apocalypse uh, from X Men Apocalypse, that character Apocalypse, who's way better in the comics, not Oscar Isaac's fault. He's just way cooler in the comics. Was theoretically the first mutant that we know of. That was still only five thousand years ago in Egypt, which in terms of geological time is not that long ago. But on top of that, they specifically talk about how the mutant gene does not explode until the industrial and then the nuclear age, which is why when Magneto, uh, you know, goes crazy in the concentration camp at the beginning of X Men One, and we're all crying already, which is part of why that movie's so brilliant and that cast is so brilliant. Um, by then, we've already entered the industrial and nuclear age, and there's a very strong environmental and sort of political commentary, not political in terms of left-right, but in terms of the influence of industry and nuclear power and so forth in forwarding what did exist in terms of normal mutation. You know, James McAvoy's character, Professor X, you know, he plays the young Xavier. He is a evolutionary biologist, which is like one of the most difficult fields, uh, and he specifically is studying the formation of the mutant gene and he talks about how there have always been mutations but is normally one in a million uh, or more when it comes to humans that would lead to something like an X-Men level mutant but in the modern age because of pollution and the nuclear age and industry and so forth has become more common um, and so that to me again being a ground level guy is more interesting is more compelling and is way more compatible with the comics yes in humans being aliens is exactly what what's in the comics and that's what makes it less interesting i don't care about the kree i'm done with the kree that's the thing i I, i'm glad captain marvel blew up the kree and scared off fucking ronin because i'm i'm done with the aliens i want to deal with humans on earth and the thing is even though there's a little time travel in the classic x-men from the 80s and 90s that i was reading it was mostly earth-based stuff even the time travel was earth-based stuff and i'm done with giant gods like thanos and dormammu i understand what dr strange you need very powerful creatures and so forth. And even with the most powerful Fantastic Four and X-Men, I get it. But why you do the Eternals now? Now, your theory that it's set in the past and is setting up X-Men and or I would say the Fantastic Four is at least as likely is fine. But you look at that slate in terms of star power and interesting characters. You know, I don't dislike the cast of Eternals, but it's just not doing anything for me, especially because they've tried Inhumans with Shield, which did okay. They tried Inhumans with Inhumans, which bombed spectacularly, easily their biggest failure in any media um, is the Inhumans property. And so why they would turn that into the, the mutants and alienate more fans of the X-Men that are already angry, I, I don't know. But, you know, Sony just alienated all the Spider-Man fans, so maybe Marvel alienated all the X-Men fans. It's possible. Well, here's the thing about it is, is with X-Men, the X-Men property, the X-Men come with a long history. Like, even with the first X-Men movie, it all the events happened then, but it still had a history with it. And when you introduce the X-Men into the MCU, it would be kind of hard to explain away all that history. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you introduce the X-Men into the MCU that's been going on for in-universe, like, what, 15 years? So let's move on, because I adore the X-Men, too. And you, this is sucking me into an X-Men thing, uh, which is a weakness for me. And so for the 
sake of talking about the other properties, why don't we table the X-Men for now? Because I'm so dissatisfied with this. The, since everything since Days of Future Past, basically, I've been unhappy. And I, I, I it's in better hands with Disney, I think. Um, but I'd rather talk about some of the properties, literally anything else uh, that's on the slate, or even Black Panther and Captain Marvel, which we know pretty for sure is going to be 2022, even though they didn't announce it, if that's okay with you. Yeah, that, that that's perfectly fine. This is so, just like yeah. a childhood trigger thing for me that gets me overly thinking and acting like a child and so forth because I, I love and adore the X-Men. And when they're treated right, like Logan and Deadpool and Days of Future Past and X2, I'm over the moon. And otherwise, it makes me really upset to the point where I didn't even see Dark Phoenix, which is maybe the most classic X-Men story. Chris Claremont, arguably the most classic X-Men writer and a cast that I absolutely love. That's how poisonous the atmosphere fear got for me okay so let's get away let's Go. get back to anything let, literally let's get, let's get back to the mcu you, you know what my top three mcu films are right i don't come on you know what they are I, just for the audience come give it to us uh Go start from three start from three start from three uh civil war Hmm. i absolutely love that film i think that is one of the the best versions of Spider-Man and the more I watch it, the more when I first watched Civil War I was kind of like, I kind of lapsed in my MCU fandom so I didn't really get invested into the breakup, but the more I watch it, the more my heart aches that these people are they're, 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 they're torn apart and they're, they're both right in their own way, uh, but the, the, these friends are torn together and the, 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 the villain, he wins. <laughs> he he wins. And I, I, he, was, he won and before Thanos. And he's coming Thanos back, won. baby, in Winter Soldier and Falcon. We got confirmation that Daniel Brühl as Baron Zemo is going to be the bad guy in Winter Soldier Falcon. And- Award winning, uh, Academy Award winning. Go ahead. And he has no power. He just did it with politics. You know what I mean? He was brains. It, yes, exactly. And I, I just, I just love and adore that film. And I love the action scenes. And like I said, in my opinion, I think it has the best Spider-Man in it. You have. I the agree grip, with you on that. You, you have the action. I, I really adore the most recent Spider-Man movie. So I'm going to reserve that. But before that film, it's like that. That was the, the best MCU Spider-Man, and I absolutely love that movie. And obviously, my second favorite is the Avengers. I that movie is brilliant. I love the chemistry. I Josh Sweden, the writing, the writing, the characters, dynamic. You have that. How do I put this? You you have enough time devoted to each character mm-hmm. that you are actually invested in all of them, and then you have the action. Mm-hmm. Like when I first watched Avengers for the first time in a long time, like a year or two ago, I was blown away by how fantastic the action is and how it stands up. And it you know it it all began with Avengers and I got kind of invested in it before with Iron Man I remember watching it with mm-hmm. my brother so I was there and you know I was looking forward to the Avengers and yeah I absolutely love that film I'm a huge Josh Whedon fan girl and yeah, yeah and obviously my number wait hold one on hold on hold on hold on before number one which I know is coming but I want you can I just say something about the Avengers real quick go for it. Even though my personal favorite to rewatch over and over again is Ultron, and Ultron is what set everything in motion. And Tony, 
Thor, Cap, and company r- refer to events and or conversations in Ultron and suit of armor around the world. Cap's various conversations with Iron Man, even the Thor- the hammer competition, and Thor going, I knew it, when Cap could hold the hammer, you know, everything. There's everything to referring from Ultron. One of the things I love about Thor Ragnarok is it seems like Taika is making fun of Ultron at various points. I know for a fact Joss Whedon loved Ragnarok, and Taika w- was, was just paying tribute to the brilliance of Whedon, uh, uh, specifically in Ultron, because we all see the brilliance in the original Avengers, and we all agree it's one of the best. But Jaggy Curl, one thing that Joss Whedon pioneered, I believe, with the Avengers movies, both of them, is most blockbuster movies, even the best ones, um, whether it's Marvel, DC, or Star Wars, or whatever, have between three and five definitive acts that are normally action-based or drama-based or, you know, or something else that you can cut an act break at. And Joss Whedon has this bizarre thing where it's, like, almost actless, especially in the original Avengers, where you never know from minute to minute, especially when you're first watching it, whether to laugh, whether to be scared. You don't know what's going on because the tone keeps changing. It's funny when you think it shouldn't be, and then when you think it should be funny, it gets really serious and crazy and dark. Whedon has done that great going back to Firefly and Buffy and other properties. Really, I think, was the main reason he was cast way more than sort of special effects or anything like that, even though the action, I agree, is great in the original Avengers. But it's sort of being like this is going to be a long epic movie let's not even worry about an act structure and just have sort of a tenseness between action comedy and drama going the whole time and if there's any influence of Whedon on the Russos in Avengers 3 and 4 it's that sort of actless what I would call actless structure now Avengers Endgame you can kind of divide into three acts I almost had to be that way sort of the prequel of what happens after the snap and then the middle part with the time travel and then the final battle and so forth but um, Infinity War definitely kind of stuck to that and, and one of the things I love about Avengers is my favorite part of Avengers as great as the beginning and as great as the Battle of New York is is sort of the hour and 15 minutes in the middle where they're all starting to meet each other and get the comparative powers and joking but then not liking each other and then Loki's working his magic there's so much going on in that middle uh, chunk of the movie um, and, and what Marvel does so great and I'm going to set you up here with a huge soft, with a, an, an easy softball uh, what Marvel does great is the middle part of these movies I love the middle part of Guardians Guardians one. I love the middle part of Avengers one. I love the middle part of Thor one. I love the middle part of Black Panther. I love the middle part of these movies, but Captain Marvel was great at the end, uh, which we don't always get in these films. So, Jenny Geeker, what is your number one Marvel film? My number one is obviously Captain Marvel. Oh. Captain Marvel is the reason why I am back into the MCU. It really awoken my passion for the MCU. I connected with it in a level that I haven't been able to connect with. It is the film that it is the film that I have seen the most in theaters at this point in time, which which is a small four, but it's still one that I saw over and over again. Every time I still loved it. I I cried where you know you you cry at and it really spoke to me and you know what I know some people have some problems with it but sometimes it's not about the objective critical point of view or your personal lens it's about how it connects with you personally mm-hmm. and I I love it and at the moment and I try not to revisit it so much so it 
continues to have its power, but like when Kale breaks free from the intelligence, I believe it's called. Uh, the ultimate such a intelligence, pow- yes. Yeah, it, it, it's just such a powerful moment, and I love the relationship that she has with her friend and the chi- the friend child. And yeah, I absolutely just uh, adore that film. And the, the 90s is kind of a little bit nostalgic for me during that Like, I don't remember 95 that much, but the, obviously the 90s. I t- <laughs> well, you're so older than I'm me. I'm so, so old, yeah. Yeah, I was wearing all those t-shirts listening to No Doubt. I love they play No Doubt at the end. It was amazing. I, yeah, I absolutely love the music. Like when she but gets. But they didn't overdo it. it. Like some of the Marvel movies, or just in general, these genre movies overdo 70s, 80s, 90s stuff. They did not overdo it. They did it very tastefully. Yeah, like like the, the when Nirvana is playing, oh my when God. this captured and stuff like that. I just absolutely love it. And another reason why I love it is. I will get there in a second, but the Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Nick Fury, I absolutely love it. I, it. It's almost like an origin story for Nick Fury as well. I think that's one of the things people overlook, that they focus so much on Captain Marvel that Nick Fury gets overlooked. And I absolutely loved him. He's such, he such more, you know, he, it, he hasn't been worn down by the system so much you know he still smiles he's still friendly and then obviously one of the you know where i'm going here one of the another reason why i love is goose you know goose is so adorable and like i did not know like i did not know what a flurkin was i didn't know it was a thing (laughs) you know what i'm saying so when 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 he was saying it's a flurkin get away from me i I was like okay well obviously he's paranoid of human cats and then when that moment happened it was like what the my biggest disappointment in all of or not all of there's only been two my biggest disappointment in captain marvel and avengers endgame with carol is that in the comics rocket can smell immediately that it's an alien and not a cat and they hate each other and he's constantly threatened to destroy to blow away captain marvel's cat with his machine gun and it was so obvious with all of the Rocket stuff in Avengers. But one of my other big disappointments with Avengers Endgame was I wanted more Carol. And not only did I want more Carol, I wanted Carol to give them the pump-up speech that Cap normally gives. Because that is what Cap, that's what Carol in the comics would do, is give them the irrational pump-up speech. And especially being the outsider and giving them... They, they even joke about her being like the new kid or whatever. Like, th- that was so set up. My biggest complaint about about Carol Danvers in the movies so far between Captain Marvel um, uh, and uh, the Avengers, where she didn't have nearly enough screen time, is that Brie has had to do all, in my opinion, a lot of the heavy lifting, that a little bit more complicated writing, if they just took from the comics more, where she's a little bit more complicated and dark and weird, but also funny and neurotic and so forth... Um, it, it, it would, it would just, it, they already have the material. I'm not really sure what they're doing. I think they're headed that direction and Brie has certainly been playing it on her face, her body language and her performance. And I absolutely, as a skeptic of Brie Larson in this role, cause I do love the comics of, of, of Carol Danvers, Kelly Sue DeConnick starting in 2012 or whenever it was that this is mostly based on. 
um, has been mostly my complaint. But you know what, Jaggy Girl? I could say the exact same thing about I'm Chris Hemsworth. Hold on. And Chris Hemsworth in the first Thor movie and the first Avengers movie. As great as Chris Hemsworth is in the first Thor movie and the first Avengers movie, it took a while for all of the writers and directors and producers to get a handle on how brilliant he was, how great the character, but how weird the character was. And Thor got better and better in his own movies and especially in the Avengers and team up movies going forward. And so, you know, I don't think this is a bad thing at all. It sometimes actually can be a curse to come out and have like your the best movie ever as, as a debut. Like I think Doctor Strange Two is going to be a lot better as well. I was not, even though I like Benedict Cumberbatch, I wasn't a huge fan of the Doctor Strange uh, origin story film. And mostly Jedi Girl uh, and to lead back into the all the new slate stuff. And of course, you can add Captain Marvel and Black Panther, which we know is happening probably in 2022. Which is until Wonder Woman in 2017, I was so sick of origin stories, and I'm still kind of sick of origin stories when they're non-traditional like Black Panther or even Captain Marvel with the memory loss stuff. I mean, they were doing some very Christopher Nolan type stuff like in Memento or, or Inception with her memories jumping all over the place. I really like that stuff. I thought that was awesome and I was not expecting it. But um, yeah, and I just wanted more. I wanted, I wanted more Carol from the comics and then specifically in the Avengers movie, I wanted just more Carol in general. That, that's my main complaint. No, I agree with you 100%, but people feel this way. I look at it this way. You know, we have, she's only had one movie, and she was barely, I count her as barely in Endgame. So, for me, I cut it a little slack, because mm-hmm. she she was coming into Endgame, which was the conclusion of all these stories. I think they, 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 they did the right thing, that they focused the original six, uh, and tied it, tied everything up there, and you know, killed. I, I'm okay. Uh oh. Uh oh. Did we lose that again, girl? You're muted. You muted yourself. You definitely Sorry. muted yourself. Yeah, go ahead. Where, where did I lose myself? Just keep going. Just a couple seconds ago. Just keep talking. Okay, so I kind of do agree a little bit with what. They did in the end game with Kill, but I do agree that she should have had more screen time. It was smart to focus on the original six and tie up the loose ends and end their story. But while I do think that they could have done more for Kill and Captain Marvel, I do realize that she's only had one film and she was barely in Endgame. So I'm looking forward to the future and I'm not so much at holding what has happened mm-hmm. against her. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like Captain Marvel's the reason why I'm back into the MCU and I absolutely love her to death. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's one of my favorites. And I, I'm planning, uh, because I subscribe to Marvel Unlimited, so I'm, I'm planning to get to a comic series. I'm reading a couple of... Uh, things. The I don't first really two or three to, volumes of the Kelly Sue DeConnick in particular are great. The first is, you know, introduced the Flurkin and her origin story, but also her relationship with Rhodey. She's with Rhodey on and off in the comics because of their Air Force background. They have a very sweet relationship. He wants to be serious, being older and slightly more mature. Her being kind of unchained and all over the place. She's sort of, you know, fiery and unpredictable, which I love in the comics. And then the second one, she hangs out with Dazzler, who's literally a mutant rock star who uses her mutant rock power. He uses her rock and roll powers to manifest her mutant powers. It's absolutely great. Everyone wants 
Taylor Swift to play Dazzler. She even wants to play Dazzler. Would be amazing. Um, it's, and she's also best friends with Jessica Jones, though. And one of the reasons she's best friends with Jessica Jones, despite their power differences and despite their life differences, is because they're both young, brilliant, but sensitive and kind of disturbed young women, and they just really relate to each other. And in the first Jessica Jones uh, alias volume, when she is can't talk to anyone, has doesn't know who else to call, she like invades the X-Men mansion where Carol doesn't even hang out just to try and get a hold of Carol and talk to her. And they have some great bro moments together. It's absolutely great. So it's so sad that people love JJ as a, as a character and as a series, you know, that we, uh, you know, the thought that we can't have JJ and, and Carol together, maybe someday, but JJ Carol, here's the thing. Even if you take my position that it was like a B plus movie, but an A plus, you know, Brie performance. And we wanted to see more of her in the Avengers. Captain Marvel is still the sixth highest grossing domestic Marvel movie of all time above Iron Man three, above civil war, above guardians two, above far from home, above homecoming, above guardians one, above Iron Man. I could go on and on and on only Ultron Avengers, infinity war, black Panther and Endgame. So the four Avengers movie, black Panther are the only movies to beat captain Marvel domestically and you know what the comparison in dc is aquaman just made a billion dollars wonder woman didn't make a billion dollars but you know what wonder woman did smoked aquaman in the united states by over a hundred million dollars and is by far the highest grossing american uh dc movie wonder woman since the dark knight over 10 years ago um and, and like star wars some of these characters who are women and people of color black panther as well did amazingly in this country but china and non-english speaking countries were slightly less into it and so captain america civil war in iron man 3 inched past captain marvel money wise all you know told but she won in the u.s and the fact that she basically matched civil war who had all the avengers in it other than thor and hulk basically it was basically avengers 2.5 as people said at the time that brie larson who only a small percentage of film goers even knew who she was no one had heard of captain marvel other than a tiny Nick, you know Nick Fury aspect that I guess attracted people is unbelievably impressive, and I am not willing to chalk up to Me Too and political stuff. There was something appealing about that movie and about Bray, and there's absolutely no denying it. And as I've said, despite all of these announcements, and by the way, I think Natasha. I should say Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow, I think as their main movie next year, will make well over a billion around Captain Marvel money, 1.1, 1.2. I feel pretty strongly, maybe more because of Scarlett Johansson. But Brie Larson was nowhere near as famous as Natalie Portman or Scarlett Johansson when she went into the Captain Marvel role, which makes it even that much more impressive. I would like to say, and this yes. would be the perfect transition Go. to Star Wars, is, is you hear about these films that um, these, these fans do not like and they criticize for having motives and they hate on the actors and they criticize it and it's like, oh, that's a horrible movie. But these movies are clearly appealing to an audience and they're connecting with the movie. Uh, the audi- going audience that are seeing them multiple times. I saw it four times, and it's like the same thing with moving into Star Wars with, that, with The Last Jedi. You hear all this criticism about The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi sucks. I hate like, The Last Jedi, but The Last Jedi made a lot of money. It is still a financial success. Disney revenue had a lot of income, just like it did with Captain Marvel, and you know what? I don't really care what people say, because what is quote-unquote po- quote popular is just a 
loud minority and at the end of the day money speaks and mm-hmm. these films made a lot of money so you may not you might not like the last shot you might hate it you might think it's the worst Star Wars movie but you know what it made a lot of money it made more movie than more money than any of the prequels which those same people are saying maybe you look better than the last Jedi, you know but it made more money than the dark knight and the dark knight rises exactly so clearly these movies are connecting with an audience and and that's the point into it so let's move into star wars can i just one final marvel point before star wars if you don't mind Go for it. So I started my big long story about the Scarlet Connection, Scarlett Johansson and the Scarlet Witch, played by Elizabeth Olsen. Who, again, Scarlett Johansson, already a huge A-plus both star and actress, in my opinion, in terms of both talent, but obviously fame and, and recognizability. But he, he was exceeded all expectations. And I think if you weren't moved by the scenes with her and Hawkeye in the final movie, you don't have a heart. I'm sorry. I know that's subjective, but I, I, I think people... Let's put it this way. Some old school nerds that I know who were late to the party with Hawkeye and Black Widow. I was not, people. You can go listen to the old podcast. But some old nerds were late to the party with Black Widow and Hawkeye. But the mainstream audience was not late to the party. And people were really affected by those scenes. And obviously the final scene and the wrap up. And I love that Hawkeye and and tie it in with Wanda talked about their losses between her brother and obviously Vision and then Natasha and so forth and the fact that we're getting a Wanda show and a Hawkeye show after and a Vision show after I specifically talked about those actors back in the day uh, I'm thrilled I'm still surprised it's happening I'm absolutely happy but I have to ask you Jay Geek Girl because uh, you know she made May money in March did uh, Brie Larson as Captain Marvel with that much money as did Black Panther which was mostly dominated by women I mean T'Challa was amazing with Chadwick Boseman but Shuri and his mom and, and you know uh, um, uh, uh, and Koye and, you know his, all of his bodyguards you know I mean it was mostly women dominated he mostly you know gave in to their wishes and, and, and their brains and, and so forth uh, it was a very feminist portrayal, uh, I thought, it was Black Panther. Um, but now you have the May movie, which is always the big movie. The early May movie next year is Black Widow. And then next, the year after that in 2021, May 7th, is Doctor Strange, which is a co-lead situation with Wanda Maximoff, played by Elizabeth Olsen as um, the uh, as a Scarlet Witch. Um, so do you mind if I just ask you this question and then we'll, we'll bridge in Star Wars, which is... People never disliked Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda, but like Ultron, but especially the actress. Let's put it this way. I didn't know if people would end up liking Ultron, and it's still split. I was convinced she was going to keep getting better and more famous and more loved over time, and that certainly happened. But I have to say, when I, all my viewings of Endgame, which were maybe two or three, but they were momentous, every time when the other Avengers come in at the end, but especially Scarlet Witch flies in and starts wrecking Thanos, the crowd just goes crazy, and that's when I knew that she was truly accepted and truly liked. What is your view about Wanda Maximoff? Because Elizabeth Olsen, when she started filming avengers 2 age of ultron was like 22 23 years old she had done godzilla also by the way with aaron taylor johnson who played her twin in ultron and some stuff and she's obviously in olsen related to the olsens but she had not really done show business whatsoever that was her first big role and she absolutely nailed it um i'm curious what you think about about um uh the scarlet witch slash wanda maximoff played by elizabeth olsen and they'll move into star wars I absolutely love her, and I'm really looking forward to seeing 
what more she will do in the MCU. Like she's one of the she's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to Doctor Strange too. So yeah, I absolutely love her to death and. Yeah, she's definitely up there for one of my favorite characters, or some of my favorite characters. What, what I also love about her is, A, I knew she was supposed to be an X-Man, X-Woman, uh, you know? I understood the reasons why they couldn't, because they didn't own Fox back then. Um, it's true, in some portrayals, she's not an X-Man, but in anything in the last 20, 30 years, she's a mutant. She's daughter of Magneto <clears throat> with her twin. Um, but she still manifested those red energy powers, just like an X-Men. And the fact that it was related to telepathy and telekinesis and just straight up power blast, but all the different ways she used the power and the way she manifested it and, and inhabited that character. You know, Hulk is punch, punch, punch. Thor is punch, punch, hammer. Iron Man's punch, punch, laser blast. You know, it's a lot of punchy, even Captain Marvel's punchy, punchy, punchy. I'm going to fly through your spaceship. It's great, but you know, but the way we've seen wanda's power change from what she did in ultron and she's just mastering the flying at the very end of ultron when they introduced the new avengers and then we see her training with black widow and captain america and falcon at the beginning of civil war which is one of my favorite scenes is the opening scene in uh lagos nigeria uh and captain america civil war where they're training her and she like throws captain america into the building and then she gets blamed for the bombing somehow even though she saved everybody's life like i'm like hello she saved tons of people like that's ridiculous um, and just the way her powers have developed, and then to that great moment in you know Infinity War where she's she's trying to defend Vision, and finally she comes into the battle and just wrecks half the aliens. And Inkoye is just like, "Where's he been the whole time?" <laughs> you know. And then of course wrecking Thanos. I don't know. I just appreciate them introducing a sort of one A or two A character to the Avengers early on, who is young and promising, and building her potential both as an actress and in terms of her superpowers. I'm not sure what's comparable that we've seen. And to me, that's very impressive. Definitely. Okay. Go ahead. Well, moving into Star Wars, what would you like to touch on specifically? Because it seems like there's a lot of talk to talk about right now. Hello there. (laughs) Yeah, but... (laughs) No. It's not confirmed. We can't talk about it. it. Exactly. I... Do I want to go there? Um, no, you start. You start. This is this is you. You start talking about what you want. I honestly, until I did my Rebels commentary this week with Simi, I haven't really thought or done much Star Wars stuff in a while, kind of on purpose. So I, I'm open to anything. I don't know any of the new news. I've heard nothing about The Mandalorian. I've heard nothing about Clone Wars. I've heard nothing about Cassian. I've heard nothing about Episode Nine. So I really don't know what the hell's going on. It's been really quiet right now with Star Wars, uh, but um, when it comes to Obi-Wan Kenobi, his TV show, especially when it comes to Star Wars news, I'm very skeptical. I question things. I question their sources. I've heard this is the one from someone who's basically an insider. I've heard this is the one. Yeah, that, that doesn't mean I'm going to commit to the idea. That's just how I approach news when it comes to Star Wars. Uh, that then I'm not saying a fact is wrong or is incorrect. I just like I wanna wait and see. Sure. Can I phrase this as hypothetical though? Let's just let's just for a second pretend it's gonna happen because you're a prequel person. You love the prequels and I love that you love the prequels. Which is who saw this happening ever fifteen, twenty years ago? 
Oh, no, you, you didn't see it happening. Even though people loved you and McGregor, and with, even people who hated the prequels at the time would grudgingly admit they liked his portrayal of Obi-Wan, but it was still like blasphemy that he would somehow portray the character past the George Lucas prequels. This is unheard of. I think as a prequel fan, if this show happened, I think it is amazing and awesome. I would like something set in that time period. But, I mean, he and McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. If, all right, here's what I would like from this series. I want to see the events of the prequels reflected on. I want to see the events of Clone Wars because Obi-Wan Kenobi during the Clone Wars, he's go, 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 go. And then at the end of the Clone Wars, he loses his brother. He goes off on a thing. It's like you, you if you look at real life, right, you get drafted or if you go into the army. And if you're fighting a war, it's go, go, go. And then when you get home, it hits you. I would like to to see Obi Wan Kenobi not necessarily wrestle with that. I want to see. I just want to see more influence of the prequels. I don't want because these things, when they happen to a person, they have effects. And I think with Obi Wan Kenobi being so rooted in the Clone Wars and so rooted in the prequel trilogy, there's no way. There's no way you do a show about Obi-Wan Kenobi and you don't have those events be an important part of that story. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, like I said, as a prequel fan, I would love something like set during Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith somewhere along there, but I am so happy with it because Obi-Wan Kenobi at that point in time is so rooted in those events that yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it, but I'm trying not to get invested. I'm trying not to get bought into it just because of how Hollywood works. And then until a official announcement happens, who knows what could happen? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like the Black Widow movie, did it have to happen? No, but better late than never. And the fact that they're setting Black Widow right after Civil War shows that they understand the period that we want to see her in. Uh, and I think they'll do something similar with Obi-Wan. Look, Jakey Curl, whatever the story is and whatever the reasons, this is yet more evidence that they are playing to people who like or love or at least respect the prequels and not the haters. Because the haters what? don't want anything, even Ewan McGregor, related to the prequels to continue. This is just more evidence they're playing to a younger crowd into a crowd that accepts all the Star Wars canon and not just the original trilogy. Well, not only that, but everybody likes Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, everybody loves him. He's my what favorite. Do they lo- yeah, other exactly. than Leia, he's my favorite, yeah. Hey, exactly, and I know you might disagree with me on this, but uh, to me, he has more of a mass appeal just because of his more recent relevance in media via the prequel trilogy and Clone Wars, then, please don't hate me, then Han Solo, so... No, I agree. I but especially because it's this, it's more because it's the same actor playing the role. When you mix right. what you just said with the same actor playing the role, it's way more appealing than Han Solo. I totally agree. I've been saying that on the podcast. Yeah, right. But I do know that there's probably some people who might listen that might disagree with me because I brought it up in the past. Like I, I, I think. But but anyways, getting back to uh, Kenobi, I I think it's a brilliant move. I, I think the Mandalorian is very, uh, the Mandalorian appeals to a very, in my opinion, very 
like a certain type of fan. Uh, the Cassian had a little Cassian Endor. It has a little bit more of appeal. Uh, more wider appeal. I mean, everybody like everybody pretty much likes Rogue One, but there might be some people who may not be invested in it. But now they say that people like to jump on the bandwagon with that one. But I mean, you know me. I've been on board with not Cassian you, no, not you. But I, you know, now everyone's like Rogue One's the best. That was not what people were saying in 2016. I'm sorry. It it, it it's aging really well for me. But um, mm-hmm. but anyways, but Kenobi, like I said, I like. Show me a person who does not like Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I will show you somebody who, you know, thinks that the... the, the, the well, here's I the problem. Know. Here's the problem. I came up with a brilliant idea for a novel two years ago that I stupidly never finished, and now I can't finish if they do this Obi-Wan. And that novel only concerned two individuals having an adventure together. And those two individuals were Obi-Wan Kenobi and Ahsoka Tano. And if they are smart, that is exactly what they will do, is a low-key story between the prequels and the original trilogy with Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. That's that's what I would do. That's what I was writing about. I never finished it, but it wouldn't matter. They would have never taken it into canon because they've had this project in their minds the entire time. I don't know if it's going to be Ahsoka, but I would do a very, very small, intimate character study with Obi-Wan and maybe one or two other characters. Ahsoka would be my top choice. Yeah, I, d- I definitely would like to see that in the Kenobi show, and uh, it's, it, he has to be talking to Qui-Gon. Oh, you know yeah, oh, it's definitely going to happen. I mean, Liam Neeson is into it. They can get uh, the voice of Liam Neeson at least, for sure. Oh, my God. I, 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 yeah, I, he, was in the, he was in Mortis. They had no, Liam Neeson exactly. in Mortis. Yeah, so yeah. All, all I'm saying is it, it has so many ties into the prequel trilogy and Clone Wars that I, I'm I'm so here for it. But I want to I want to move a yes, little go. bit into into Episode Nine. Like I think the last time we talked, I don't know if it was on the podcast or whatever, but Celebration really filled my cup. Like that, seeing the trailer live and having all that content from Star Wars, I have been pretty filled on Star Wars. I've been a little bit distracted by the MCU, which I really like. Uh, but I'm getting to the point where I am looking forward to and starting to get a little uh, ancient, uh, excited about more content, which is perfect because tomorrow is D23 and we should be getting a behind the scenes seal reel. Not a trailer. Sometime this weekend, so I, you know, I'm, I'm. For me, it, it's been perfect. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. And is this true? I'm the Mandalorian trailer is dropping tomorrow. That's what I've heard. Yes, yes, yes. It is. They have to. They've um, announced Disney Plus as like uh, November fifth or something. Well, they they they, uh, they said a couple days ago that it was coming. So, and by the but way, I just want to point out as the connection between Marvel and Star Wars, regardless of the hype over the recent Marvel announcements, people are still very excited about the Star Wars announcement. But they're still pushing Mandalorian as the launch show for adults on Disney Plus. That's not changed whatsoever. That's that that's very true. Um, but but getting back to Episode Nine for a second. Um, I'm excited for episode nine. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm trying not to burn myself out because I do that. If I sit here and I think about episode nine, if I try to get hyped for it, I'm going to burn myself out. So I try to focus on other things. And again, that's where Marvel helps because Marvel has so much going on with it that 
I, I, I don't have to worry about getting burned out on Star Wars because my attention is on Marvel and the MCU. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to episode nine. Episode nine at the time of this recording is 120 days. Yeah, still at this time, 120 days away. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping busy. The behind the scenes hopefully will last me. I, I don't know. I may get a little bit itchy before the trailer comes in October. I'm, I'm hoping that I no, can sorry, last. Man. That's what they did with the Rogue One. That's exactly what they should do, in my opinion. No, no, no. I agree with 100%. They did the same thing with The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. But with those two movies, mm-hmm. before October, I was starting to get really itchy. Mm-hmm. And, and this shit, with The Rise of Skywalker... After I saw the trailer at Celebration, I wasn't getting itchy at all. You, you, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm hoping I don't get itchy before because that sense of anticipation sometimes can get not really unbearable, but it's, it's all that you can think about. And uh, I'm hoping it, it's not that way for me because I'm, I'm really looking forward to this movie. Just just because hopefully it will put to bed a lot of things uh, in the fandom. But you, we, 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 know, we know how fans are. It, it, it's not going to end with episode 9. It, it, some things will never end. I just, I don't really want to go here, but when I see some people say 120 days to Star Wars, and then I see 120 days to Bendemption, I'm like, guys, if you love Star Wars, love everything about it. If you're excited about Bendemption or not, great. Get excited about everything. I'm starting to, it's becoming a single issue voter thing. It, it's it, That's sort of turning me off. Not just Raylo people, but the, the reaction to Raylo people or people have single things. I'm like, get excited about episode nine. It's been a year and a half and it's going to have been, what, two years since a, a saga movie. Like, get excited about that. Um, and, is my personal feeling. Also, can I, can I just get, share a quick celebration story that you, that you know? Um, which is, so you know how like right after they did the big hall thing, which you saw live and I did not, uh, they went to the, the main, um, exhibition hall, like in pairs of two other than John Boyega, because you don't need to give John, you know, just put John Boyega, but they had, um, they had the star Wars show, uh, peeps interview, uh, you know, uh, Kathleen Kennedy and Daisy Ridley together. And, you know, we saw, um, uh, Oscar Isaac and Naomi Aki together. But for me, the telling one was J.J. Abrams with um, uh, Ke- Kelly Marie Tran. Not only him constantly stressing how much he's in love with her as an actress, I can't wait to see what he does with her in the film, and obviously just the love that she got and the love that she was feeling, but J.J., who is known to be very workmanlike and non-emotional, both publicly and privately, uh, even though his actors love him because he's great. He's not known to be particularly sort of open and emotional the way Joss Whedon is. He was openly affected by the amount of people and the amount of enthusiasm. And he said in his interview, I've seen that video numerous times, he said, he was like, this is amazing. Like, this is a shot in the arm we desperately needed. And when he said that at Celebration, like, they had basically finished filming, which means they've done some reshoots and that maybe they were feeling the pressure of everything coming out of the baggage coming out of The Last Jedi and Solo, that this not only had to be a great Star Wars movie, but this had to be, again, J.J. Abrams, quote unquote, bringing people back to Star Wars after mixed feelings of Solo and and Last Jedi and seeing just the pure united celebration of, of 
love episode nine and excitement for it. And JJ's reaction to it, I thought was very telling. I always thought this movie would be great. I think he's really going to pour his heart and soul into it. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I too loved what I saw at celebration and that mixed with just my general love of JJ's style of filmmaking for science fiction in particular, I'm fine not seeing anything until the trailer. Honestly, Jedi Girl, I'd be fine not seeing the trailer, but knowing myself, there's no way I won't watch the trailer. It's possible. I won't that get is, avoid it. I'm going to watch it a million times, I'm sure. That is as am I. But that is what I'm looking forward to. I am definitely looking forward to seeing how it ends. I'm looking forward to episode nine. And we know where I stand. I am Raylo. I am Ben Demption. But I just want to see it, how it ends. And I, I, I get so tired of the fan narrative of the behind the scenes politics or the narrative fans how they perceive things and why they are the things that they are that it, it, it it's, it's really annoying because well, it's all among fans it's not behind the scenes the, the no 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 the movies have been mostly harmonious even though kathleen kennedy's had to fire some people in terms of the actors and most of the writers and directors everyone's gotten along great in the star wars movie no 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 it's totally That's- the fans projecting that on the properties Exactly. That, that that is the point I'm trying to say. It has yep. nothing to do with the behind the thing. Nope. The, it, it, the fans, they they see things happen. Like resistance is an example. Resistance is coming to an end. I love the show. I am sad. I am disappointed. But these they they take these narrative that the show got canceled. But the show was in production in 2017 before it even aired. So it was planned since day one. I'm sure it was planned as soon as they knew that episode nine was going to be a year from the last Jedi. Hey, this is going to be a two season thing. It wasn't ended because of the effects of season one or they, you know what I'm saying? They, they take these narratives and I'm going to calm down a little bit here. They, they take these narratives. Calm down. Of, <laughs> they take these narratives of how they perceive things to mm-hmm. be based on their perception that they, they overlook simple facts. Uh, you know, like like you can hate resistance, but I'm telling you right now, it wasn't canceled because of season one. This was planned before season one even aired. So, if you know, you're an adult hating on Star Wars resistance, get another hobby. Seriously. I mean, just shut up. <laughs> But anyway, switching back to a little bit more positive. Well, can uh, I yeah. just really add quickly about Star Wars Resistance, which I still haven't watched, but I'm going to, which is I wasn't sure it was going to get a second season, not because it wasn't good, but because I knew that both Marvel and Star Wars were going forward with a one or maybe two season approach to all of their shows. Like, oh, yeah. I, I was somewhat surprised they already said there was going to be a second season of The Mandalorian. I know Cassian's one season. I know Clone Wars is one season. WandaVision certainly going to be one season. I'd be shocked if Bucky and the Winter Soldier is more than one season. I'd be shocked if Hawkeye... I mean, now Hawkeye's daughter, who's the co-star, you know, Kate Bishop, um, she they're trying to make her into a big star, so she could be... But in terms of Jeremy Renner, I'd be shocked. Do you see where I'm going with this? Like, they oh, specifically yeah. are into doing one, maybe two seasons with these shows which if you look at the netflix results for like jessica jones and daredevil the first and second seasons do better than seasons after that so why push it too far like i'm always saying give us less and make it great than giving us too much 
Exactly. See, this is the thing that people do not realize. Mm-hmm. Going to calm down a little bit is this is not something to wave the flag at. This is if anybody looks into Disney, this is how Disney works. I mean, do we want to even start listing how many shows of Marvel, you know, got not you know didn't go that long? That this is how Disney do things. So I, I, it's in my opinion, it's probably more of a Disney thing. Um. But, yeah, so I absolutely really do enjoy the show. Kaz is such a clutch, but towards the end there, I was like, I actually am really starting to enjoy this. And the, the, the cast members uh, are so adorable. The, like I said, I saw the panel live, and I saw the first episode. I, 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 yeah, I, I absolutely love the show. I, you know, I enjoy it for what it is. But, uh, yeah, so sad to see it go, but I'm looking forward to see what is next after the conclusion of Resistance, but I'm not thinking about that right now. So. Well, what's also so interesting is the way Star Wars, Lucasfilm, I should say, in particular, is exploring free short videos for kids, whether it's Forces of Destiny or, like, the Star Wars Adventure, you know, minute-long things. I think that's extremely innovative based on kids watching experiences these days and the fact that i can show my four-year-old nephews the star wars adventure stuff or some of the forces of destiny my sister's okay with it but she wouldn't be okay with resistance even let alone rebels for three or four-year-olds you know what i mean and so i think it's very innovative and i think for sure there is going to be a rebels clone wars-esque animated show that's for kids and adults they can watch together that will go more than one or two seasons coming up they just haven't figured out when it's going to be set and what it's going to be about but they they're not going to do everything one or two seasons but as both marvel and star wars around the same time in 2019 2020 2021 let's be honest should i get girl both marvel and star wars are transitioning in some similar and some different ways it makes sense that they're experimenting with different shows for different ages and different formulas eventually they'll settle back into more standard shows that hopefully people like enough to go three four five seasons but you know they learned from clone wars that they didn't want to go more than three or four seasons with that's what Filoni said, you know, even though season five of Clone Wars is the best, in my opinion, season of Clone Wars and probably the best season, one of the best seasons of television of all time is season five of Clone Wars. They were losing viewers because the generations were changing and it's just, you know, it's tough with media, with media these days. So I applaud them for experimenting with these different things. I mean, anybody who knows anything about children TV shows, they know that you can't have the same time window with a kid show that you could with a adult show or even a young adult show. Like one of my things that I think of is Smallville. I grew up with Smallville. Smallville went 10 seasons, which in my opinion was too long. Uh, I think because of that generation, I think the people who grew up with Smallville that fell in love with small, uh, Smallville was that younger, younger teen generation. And you have a window, and I'll get back to Star Wars here in a second, where they're invested. But once you get past that window, which has happened to me, they fall out of favor with it. They don't keep up to date with it. And for Smallville, I think it was seven seasons-ish. It's like those last three seasons were really because, you know, I moved on with life and kids that window is so much shorter like if you create a show with a mind for kids to grow up with or they really enjoy like Rebels for a a second like if you have an 8 year old who likes Rebels or maybe 10 year old that child you know they grow up and they mature and guess what they get exposed to peer pressure their taste changes so these shows have to be 
tightly wanting to get it and kind of closed in just because that's the nature of the audience that you're dealing with. Uh, so, but, but yeah, so I also would like to add that I think mm. it's important to have things in fandom mm-hmm. and in that, that you do not like. I don't think it's healthy to like everything because if everything is made for you, then it's not different enough to appeal to other people. Yes. Like, and that would be my one request is, I, I'm sick of the people publicly posting, this is not for me. If it's not for you, don't post anything. Just watch something else. Like, we don't need to hear over... Once is fine with the announcement, but to post over and over again that Star Wars Resistance is not for you, like, I'm going to unfollow you, even though I don't watch Star Wars Resistance. Like, I don't need to hear over and over again, like, this is not my Star Wars. Like, ugh, I'm so sick of that. But here's the thing about it is, it I'm not free from it. I have my own issues. I do the same thing. I solo. I'm not a huge fan of. I make. I poke. That's I true. Jab you do that. Solo, <laughs> and I say I don't. I, I don't care for Galaxy of Adventures only because it's supposed to be a saga expanding thing. But they barely touch on the sequel trilogy and the prequel trilogy. And I love the original trilogy as much as anybody else. But I think that should be a little bit more wide ended. But you. No, I don't like I don't like I think the art is fine but and the, the other thing is the Mandalorian I don't think the Mandalorian appeals to me but I'm going to be watching it day one hour one I'm going to be watching the trailer I'm still invested as a fan but I think it's good for the community and the fandom to have these properties that they really love and enjoy mm-hmm. and yes I do crap on it but I'm not as toxic as some people are you know what I'm saying? And I think it would be, like, I'm not perfect. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that, that I take jabs at these properties. But I think if you compare my jabs to the stuff that you see on YouTube, I think there's a difference. And that does not make me better than them. But, <laughs> you know what I'm saying here? I'm trying to make a point without making it seem like I'm better than no, them. No, I agree with you. I'm also lukewarm. But it's more just that I'm waiting rather than I'm actually unhappy or just satisfied with, with the Mandalorian and the fact that Filoni is so involved I mean let's be honest it, he's clearly the number two to Kathleen in terms of creative control and maybe number one right now if she's giving him full reign it seems like um, so I think we should trust in Filoni because yes I, I look I didn't even see the Lion King John Favreau as the director the Iron Man movies they're fine he's a funny guy I like him but he's an old school dude. But Filoni's involvement is what's keeping me with it. The bigger problem with Jedi Geek Girl and why the Marvel movie, uh, uh, television shows are grabbing me more, although Cassian uh, falls into this category, is with the Marvel shows, whether it's WandaVision, Winter Soldier, uh, Falcon, um, or um, Hawkeye, is I'm getting characters that I already love from multiple movies now on television in adult TV shows, as opposed to, you know, telling totally new stories, which in theory I'm open to, but I know I'm going to like Jeremy Renner, Paul Bettany, Elizabeth Olsen, uh, Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie on television, you know, like I already like their characters and it would have to be terrible for me not to like it. They can't do that forever in Marvel, but early on it's a big advantage for them 
And so the reason I'm mostly excited about Cassian isn't just because of my obsession of Rogue One. That's part of it, but it's also because I'm already bought in on Cassian and K2, Diego Luna and Alan Tudyk, and so I know that is going to be gold no matter what because they're bringing it from a movie that I love, and this is just me being a movie guy. Um, and so that is actually my hesitation over... Now, Clone Wars is an easy sell because I already love Clone Wars and I already Rebels and I already love Ahsoka, and it's going to be spectacular. That's a special exception. But I think, yeah, my biggest issue with, with The Mandalorian is it isn't a time period I'm interested in, but it's it's actors and characters across the board that I know nothing about and have no investment in. Whereas Diego Luna and Alan Tudyk, you can literally give them anything and it's going to be hilarious and interesting. It is, it is so clear that The Mandalorian is targeted to a certain demographic of people. Maybe, maybe. That's the theory. That, that, you, know, you know what I'm saying? But to me... Uh, just because David Filoni is involved, it's in a time period that I'm interested in. I, I, I'm not going to give it a fair pass, and I think that's fair for me not to give it a fair pass. You know, that's just, I, I think that's Could fair. Be the birth you know of what Kylo. I'm Could be the birth of Kylo. The birth of Kylo happens in aftermath, a year after the Battle of Endor. Okay, the young baby, we see baby Kylo. <laughs> But 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 the, but the point I'm trying to say is is I tr- I think it, maybe I should give it a free pass, but I think it's fair for me not to give it a free pass. But having said that, I want to be proven wrong. I want to ha- I want to see elements that they're not focusing on right now because they want to appeal to this other demographic that maybe has been in- felt a little disillusioned by the newer content which i think is totally fair but at the same time like every fan we have these things that we like about things that we love and enjoy that we want to see in it you know i want to be proven wrong but i'm not going to give it a free pass just because you know what i'm saying we don't have to give it a pass because we haven't seen anything we'll see tomorrow but jedi geek girl but there are some people who are you know well, who what I'm cares? Saying? You're not talking to them. You're talking to me. You're talking to the Bizzle, who's on the same page as you. But look, Kathleen Kennedy's already greenlit a second season. And you know what? I know you're not the biggest solo fan, but Rogue One, Last Jedi, Force Awakens, Star Wars Rebels, Forces of Destiny, Resistance, almost everything to come out of Lucasfilm under Kathleen Kennedy, you have to be pretty pleased with. And so the combination of Dave Filoni's involvement in her calling him a rock star and even Favreau deferring to Filoni at many points, uh, not just in that panel, but in general talking about the project. I think Favreau is just the guy who's an awesome director, but clearly Filoni is the creative uh, guy behind what's the stories that's going to be told. And so if Kathleen Kennedy's greenlit a second season already and Disney's greenlit it and Bob Iger normally gives Kathleen Kennedy what she wants, as he should, because she's been doing an amazing job at, uh, at Lucasfilm, that's, that, that to me is a signal uh, that, 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 that good things are happening uh, personally. So I think it was really smart because originally it was John Favreau and then David Filoni got announced being associated with the project. I think that's a very smart and calculated move by Lucasfilm. I think that, how do I put this? Not that they don't trust John Favreau, but they, they, they know that David Filoni, they need they needed somebody, I don't, don't want to put, knew what they, not necessarily knew what they were doing, but you know what I'm saying, add, add that spice to it. So that keeps me optimistic, you know what I'm saying? I, I will, we'll, we'll see. 
like I said, it's not like I'm not good. Unlike some people who. It's not think- a stunning cast, but the directors no, are great. That's the thing. But, the directors but, are really good. But here's the thing about it is, is I have my lack of disinterest and it's not speaking to me, but I'm going to be watching it day one. I'm going to be watching every episode when it drops. It's not like I'm going to be avoiding these properties. Well, you know, and some people say the same thing about something, but they don't bother investing in it because I should still give it a chance. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And but, the, yeah, go ahead. Um, but anyway, I think with the recent rumors about D&D um, moving into the future of Star Wars. That's exactly where I was going. With with their new deal with Netflix, it sounds like the next three movies will have influence with it, but because their contract is going to be so focused on the Netflix thing, they'll have a more reduced role. At, at least with the second two, that's the first one they'll probably have be, which makes me excited because, in my opinion, I think D&D should not be running those three films by themselves. And hearing that news just makes me very optimistic because hopefully they'll bring on a, you know, I doubt it, but they might bring on a, a, a David Filoni or somebody, you know, to enhance that story and stuff like that. So it, it makes me a little bit more excited for those films because I, I don't want to see a, I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't get excited for a Star Wars film that just D&D are in charge of, you know what I'm saying? I agree. They'll be overseeing it. There will be a lot of people involved because it's going to be the first major series of epic Star Wars film that does not take place in the same 50 to 60 years. And so that is a huge undertaking that Mr. Filoni will be very involved with having been the guy to reboot interest in or boot the interest of the Mandalorian uh, culture and history in the first place, which is going to be part of what's going on. Obviously the interest in the old Republic and so forth. Look, the 2022 is when they're saying the next Star Wars movie is. So they, they're, they're TV producers. They want to keep making projects. And honestly, if I'm, if I'm Star Wars, as long as they're doing their due, due diligence and their duties uh, in terms of re, you know, booting up this next bit of whatever else is going on, then they should be doing other projects. I want them doing other projects, not sitting around for three years, because that means they're not going to start filming for 18 months. What, are they not going to do anything? Netflix flips around projects like like it's nothing. They could do three shows for Netflix before they even need to start doing pre-production on the next Star Wars film. That's how I read this. I could be totally wrong. Well, I, I, I remember reading something about they reviewed the contract uh, of it and Netflix signed it with it. It's, it's a it's a heavy obligation. I think it's a multi season. It, 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 I think Netflix is trying to do its own Game of Thrones ish type of thing. But anyway, well, they hate Disney because Disney's taking away half their money makers and putting it on Disney Plus. Netflix hates Disney. But anyway, I have faith in Lucasfilm. I think they know the pressure those films have on them being the first Star Wars movies that have nothing to do with the Star Wars saga, that's not an easy thing to deal with. That's got to be stressful. Could you imagine doing that? So I think all hands are going to be on deck with that. And yes, D&D are going to have influence, but it's not going to be... I think Ryan Johnson is going to have more freedom in his mm-hmm. movies because yep. Yep. He, yep. He, yep. he's yep. proven himself. He's a, you know He knows what he's doing. He got the job done. You know what I'm saying? But these guys, 
you can like them, you can hate them, you can love them, you can be disinterested, but I think they are the type of people that if you work with, you cannot put them in charge independently. You know what I'm saying? Can Where I? Was, sorry. Wait, hold on. With Ryan Reynolds, I think you can do, uh, not Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Or Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Johnson, yeah. <laughs> with Ryan Johnson, I think you can do that. Some people might disagree, but I absolutely love Ryan Johnson yeah. and I'm not going to apologize for that. I love him too, and all my problems with the Last Jedi don't dampen my enthusiasm for his involvement in the future. In fact, it makes me more excited. Um, I I'm a quick quick thing here. I'm I'm looking forward to Knives Out because we have mm. Captain America as a jerk, and it's Ryan Johnson. It, it, it looks like a very interesting movie. Nice all. Okay, a couple things. One. If Kathleen Kennedy thinks this Netflix thing is affecting them negatively, even like 5 to 10%, she will fire them immediately, publicly, and spectacularly, the way she did uh, the solo directors, okay? If Kathleen Kennedy, who knows what's going on, smells that this is taking them away from a major Star Wars project, she will say, you know what? We've got Marvel guys like Taika Waititi and Ryan Coogler. We don't need you Game of Thrones hacks. You go do your Netflix thing, you know, and we'll do something. I'm not saying this is what's happening, but I'm telling you, if Kathleen Kennedy smells any funny business, they will be kicked to the curb of Lucasfilm immediately, quickly, and publicly, as they should be. So I'm not worried about that. I trust in Kathleen at this point, what she's learned with Rogue One, but especially with Solo at this point with directors and so forth. And she loves Ryan Johnson. She's always loved Ryan Johnson. He's always been committed. They're just waiting for the stupid Last Jedi hate to completely die down, and then they'll do it. But Jedi Geek Girl, I don't think they could be disconnected. They've said specifically, the only thing they've said specifically about the Double Ds and Ryan Johnson is neither of them are going to take place in a near time period to what's going on, right? Right, and they're not connected with each other either. So what if the Double Ds just launch the first movie as sort of a setting of either an ancient or future setting, you know, because they do do great world building and they've got a great aesthetic and so forth, you know, and very adult and very dark, which is what I want, which is what you want. You know, Last Jedi and Rogue One are the darkest Star Wars movies. Like, that's what we want. Um, but then Ryan Johnson ultimately takes over. I don't know if two trilogies in the next six years or eight years is totally feasible. I would be fine with the Double Ds, you know, consulting on this epic thing that they've dealt with before with Game of Thrones, but Ryan Johnson being the true creative person behind it. Like, I don't think they need to be separate. I agree with you. I think Ryan Johnson's always been more of a lock. It's clear he's more of a lock now, and they're just biding his time. He's patient. They're patient. They're waiting. That's why they've said 2022. They haven't announced a specific date. That's later than all of the Marvel all 10 Marvel movies that have been announced and probably Black Panther 2 and Captain Marvel 2 will all happen before the next Star Wars movie. That's a lot of Marvel movies before the next Star Wars movie. So I think they're doing a wait and see. Um, I, I, I don't completely disagree with your skepticism about this Netflix thing, but I do feel strongly that Kathleen will very quickly kick them to the curb if she smells anything. But I don't think she would have signed them in the first place after everything they've been through and everything she's been through if she thought this was going to be a problem, is my opinion. I, I, I think I'm of the opinion that the D&D movies and the Ryan Johnson movies should stay separately. Uh, I, I said this before. In my opinion, the, I think the reason why D&D was 
were brought on was to set up the next saga films. Just because they set it up doesn't mean they're going to be influenced in everything. And I think Ryan Johnson is, might be doing something a little bit more abstract. Or it, it, it's really hard to say what he will do. But I think the purpose of D and D film is to uh, introduce the, the the next saga films. I think that's why the Knights of the Old Republic, uh, the, sorry, the Old Republic, makes sense because it, you you can start a saga there. Where I think Ryan Johnson trilogy is going to be a little bit more contained, self contained, and and I think that that that's perfect because if there's one thing that Solo showed, like. If, if Solo's story was more spread out, uh, that's just the thing about Star Wars. Star Wars, going back from the original trilogy to Legend, it, it, it's always been a, a story of trilogies. It, it seems like that's the best way to construct a story. And I think having a self-contained trilogy with Ryan Johnson just makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Compared to Solo, I think Solo was actually, they followed through on the trilogy and kind of spread it out. You know, that would have made that back thing. And, and, and having a new, you need a new saga to replace the, the Skywalker saga. So that makes sense. Not really. You know what I'm saying? Let the past die. That's what Kylo says. I, 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 well, I don't think they're committing to a trilogy with either ryan or the double d's well it did they did they 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 connected they, they said in the original announcement ryan johnson's getting a trilogy and dnd getting a three sets of films yeah well rogue one was also supposed to fail and now it's people's favorite movie and they're doing a cassian series and han solo was supposed to be like two or three movies and now probably not so you can have all the plans in the world i'm telling you kathleen kennedy is going to do what is both financially critically and fan wise smart for the company I mean, and I think Ryan Johnson's on board. If Ryan Johnson does another movie that splits the fan base, it's not going to be. There's not going to be more, and it doesn't have to do with me liking him or you liking him or how great the movie is. If he does another movie that doesn't do quite as much as they want and splits the fan base again, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. But no one is, no one is below the 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 cutting room floor that is Kathleen Kennedy's uh, management of her employees, in my opinion, and but- I think. That that's how it should be. If if does he? I don't think Ryan Johnson's next movie is going to split the fandom again because he's not going to be working with legacy characters. He's not going to be working with characters who have a passion for like Luke Skywalker and the continuation of a story that they grew up with. Ryan Johnson's trilogy is going to be independent of that. So the only the baggage that his trilogy is going to have that's quote unquote going to divide the fandom is going to be previously established stuff through the Last Jedi. If his if his first film and his trilogy makes a lot of money it that's at the end of the day that's what it's about making money right. you know what i'm saying so if they if see that's the thing about the last jedi the last jedi has all this vocal minority hate that agree with it or disagree with it very loud but at the end of the day the last jedi made a hell of a lot of money you know what i'm saying and disney still considers that a success you know what I'm saying? And who's to say that maybe the effects of that won't be not seen later? But the point I'm trying to say is that they are a business. If 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 Ryan Johnson creates another film that divides the fandom, does that does that really matter? If it still makes it doesn't, a, and that's, a lot of matter money. It, it not only does it not matter, it's not going to happen because you know the people who like or at least like me respect the Last Jedi 
are clearly have taken over the fandom in a positive way. You know, I think it would be a creative thing. Like Ryan Johnson just being like, I just don't have it in me for three movies, but I'll do the first one and then I'll executive produce the second one. And why don't we get in some people of color like Ava DuVernay or Ryan Coogler or, you know, or whatever, or the woman who's directing Black Widow or, you know, like, um, or Taika Waititi, if he does a great Thor movie, hopefully. Or, you know, like, they already have tons of people inside. I don't think Ryan needs to write and direct all the movies. I don't think that's even the plan. They're just... No, the problem no, is no. people like us are just speculating wildly because they're not giving us any information. But I think it's, exactly. it's genuine because they don't know. They don't yeah. know. After these first few shows and a supposed Ryan Johnson movie slash trilogy and a supposed Double D slash movie movie slash trilogy, they just don't know. And you know what? With Marvel throwing shit against the wall with everything and they just lost Spider-Man because of their cockiness, even though I blame Sony like basically 95% for being assholes because Sony are just assholes uh, and are stupid to take Spider-Man away. Marvel is somewhat to blame. Um, you know, I think Star Wars is taking their time with the next phase. And you know what? We waited uh, 16 years between Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace. And then we waited 10 years between um, uh, Revenge of the Sith and uh, Force Awakens. So if we have to wait three or four years to get our next great series of Star Wars movies with the great television content we're getting Jedi Geek Girl, I'm actually okay with that as a Star Wars fan. Marvel's way oversaturated, and they're starting to feel similar. I don't want Star Wars to get like that ever. Even though I love the Marvel movies as an experience, I don't want ever to feel oversaturated by Star Wars. Well, here's the thing. I do believe that Ryan Johnson is going to executive produce all three movies. He'll probably only direct That's the first sure. one. Yes. And, and, and write it. That's at, at the very least, I expect it to happen. I think if he wrote, direct, and produced all three of them, that would be kind of busy and tactic for him. He may do it. He may not do it. But I think he'll have a more fingerprint. He'll have more of a hand on it than the, the saga film. And if DD, uh, D&D film, the series that they plan on launching, if they do a bad job or if not, it doesn't do good, I, I could see it. It depends how Lucas, do they, do they launch it, like A New Hope, where it's a self-contained story that they can choose if they still do want to choose, or do they have it as a setup movie that will set things up that you expect a sequel. Um, it, I, I think they might do A New Hope type thing where the, the first movie from their saga or the the new saga uh will will have that just in case you know it fails or you know it doesn't appeal to people but if they do if it is a setup movie and if it's not self-contained i do see them if worst case scenario you know they fight i do see them trying to fix it and continue the story if you know what i'm saying but but anyway yeah it, it, it's all speculation. It's all Wait speculation, but all I so. know is if Kathleen's running the company and Filoni's running the creativity, I have faith in them. Agreed. I agree 100%. Because and, as uh, I've said, Jag Geek Girl, and this is no insult to <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy or Captain Marvel or Ant-Man or some of the Thor movies or whatever, but like I can do a top 10 of Marvel, and after that, I can't really, for the other 15 or 20 movies, I can't really rank them because they're all between C plus and B plus for me, and it's just like a mush because there's so many of them. 
and I like this restraint that they're having on the movies. And the fact that Last Jedi, which I give between at this point a B plus and an A minus, is the least favorite of four movies in four in three and a half years just shows how successful they've been. Um, you know, the fact that Solo, six months after Last Jedi, it seemed like oversaturation with Star Wars. It's like, look at Marvel. They're putting out a movie every three months. Um, you know, so the expectations are different of the fans and the shareholders and whatever. Um, but, you know, they are serious about continuing this. And I said from the beginning, I will always put my money on Star Wars over Marvel because... Comic book movies have come in and out of fashion numerous generations, and this is the most successful by far financially and critically and in terms of fans and exposure and so forth with the Marvel Renaissance and even DC doing pretty well lately. But Star Wars really spans generations, as you can see if you go to Star Wars Celebration, and we'll see D23, you know, more announcements um, as we head to the close here. Um, so I, I hope they do take their time because, you know, I'm, I'm constantly preparing to get my nephews into Star Wars when they're old enough and I want everything they watch to be, you know, great. And so far it mostly has been from the beginning, from 1977, you know, I, I, I joke about it. Attack of the Clones is the only thing I can't watch. Everything else I at least enjoy if I don't love, like from top to bottom, really, um, I can't Even the Ewok the, I was just going to say, it would be a great place to end. I, I haven't actually seen the Ewok adventure since I was a kid. I have vague memories. I don't remember. You should so watch it. I the, love the, Ewoks. The, 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 the first one is so bad, but the, the Battle of Endor is actually pretty decent. I should, like, like I am of the opinion that you should see everything at least once, it, or if you haven't seen it in a while, just to see it, just because mm. we change as people. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love Vaka Doo 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 or whatever that was called, that movie, but I watched it, well, I tried watching it recently, and I was like, oh, this is so bad. But, you know, so I, it's like, I, and it, it's nice to have that, you know, fresh in your mind and in your head. Um, but I do want to end with, with one more point. And nope. uh, it's kind of funny how I feel about Solo and Mandalorian, how that's like kind of disinteresting me and I don't really care for it. Because when it comes to that side of Star Wars and Legends, that the stories I read between the Han Solo trilogy, the Shadow of the Empire, uh, the... the the um tale of the bounty hunter tale to jabba's palace i started the first i started the bounty hunter trilogy when it comes to that side in legend i really enjoy those stories and i actually like them and they're some of my favorite books but when it comes to canon they're just not connecting with me it, it, it's just really funny and it's kind of mm. it's like just just because i don't really care for solo or the mandalorian doesn't mean i don't like that kind of stuff it just really hasn't really connected with me for some weird reason and i'm looking forward to the but believe it or not, I'm looking forward to the trailer tomorrow. I, I'm, I'm hoping, I, you know, I'm hoping it's going to be new footage. You know what I'm saying? I hope we'll see more of it. And it's not the same thing I saw at Star Wars Celebration. Um, at the very least, they should have extended. And like I said, I, all the stuff I put on Twitter about not being interested in the Mandalorian or making all these points of why it doesn't appeal to me. I'm still looking for something to draw me in. And we don't have it yet. So this is all speculation and hearsay and who's to say it could blow me away episode one mm -hmm. it may blow it might not blow me away until my second watch through who's to say but i'm here for it and i'm going to be watching that trailer and when i'm working i'm going to be stepping aside and watching it because i'm a star wars fan and i give everything a chance even if it you know even if i'm not interested 
So I'm going to respond to that with my final thought, and I'll give you final thought if that's okay. Go for it. Which is, a lot was working against Rogue One. People didn't understand what it had to do with anything. They didn't know about the Death Star plans. The average American viewer, I mean. They had just seen and mostly liked Force Awakens, and they weren't sure if this was related to Force Awakens. The trailer clearly put it in the original trilogy period, but for the average viewer, they might not have realized what was going on. But what they had was amazing filmmaking, but especially the best cast ever assembled for a movie like that. Combined awards of Felicity Jones, Forrest Whitaker, Mads Mikkelsen, Ben Mendelsohn, Diego Luna, Donnie Yen. I mean, literally across the board, people who have won either awards in this country or around the world for being the best at what they do. Um, Even people who it's Rogue One's not their famous favorite movie. I've often heard say it's the best acted of all the Star Wars movies. I certainly agree with that. And I approve of that opinion, even if Rogue One is not your favorite film. The the amount of great acting in that movie, spectacular, especially on rewatch when you see what they do. My point here is, I think the problem with The Mandalorian is none of the lead actors are known or particularly liked or likable that we've seen so far. If they just put in Tia Sirkar and Katie Sackhoff, who we know are Mandos that people love, people would totally jump on board with this thing. And I don't know if they're hiding it or what they're doing, but we have like numerous great young actors and actresses who have been involved being Mandos, you know, going back to the Clone Wars, including John Favreau, who's directing it, who played Pre Vizsla. I don't understand, you know, even Ahsoka. If there's even a little Ahsoka, give it to the fans. They would jump on board immediately. It's like the emperor it's like palpatine at the end of episode nine trailer jedi geek girl like you tell like tell me truthfully you take out palpatine from the end of the episode nine trailer how do you feel about it Hmm. right even the fact that you have to think about it shows how effective it is right and it affected all of us. That's what I'm saying. If they're hiding the fan service, then they got to give it to us with The Mandalorian. Because otherwise, it's all new actors and actresses who don't seem particularly invested in, in Star Wars stuff. Um, and I think that's part of the problem, is, is the optics of the whole thing. We know everyone in Clone Wars is a thousand percent invested. We know Alan Tudyk and Diego Luna are going to kill it in the casting series whenever that happens. You know, We don't know that about The Mandalorian crew. Um, we know Taika is a giant fan, and we know some of the other men and women who who are involved in directing our giant fans, but in terms of the cast in general, you know, it's not really coming together. And so if they're trying to appeal to the OT crowd, that's not clear. And if they're trying to appeal to us, that's not clear either. I think there's a communication problem. Um, and that's why I think the final Rogue One trailer was so good and so effective two months before the movie. Um, and that's what's going to happen with episode nine is remind everyone that we love Ray and Kylo and Poe and Finn and Rose and so forth. Um, I don't know what that moment is going to be for the Mandalorian, even though I am way more interested than you in that time period. But in general, I, you know, I don't just need the lore at this point. I want, that's the thing I realized with Rogue One, Jaggy Girl, and even Last Jedi and to a certain extent solo is I just love great performances by actors that I love in Star Wars. Like, a great Star Wars movie will always get a bump for me because it's Star Wars, but it has to be a great movie. If it's just a good show or a good movie that's Star Wars, I'm not going to let it go scot-free, which is sort of what you were saying earlier. But we, we just don't know enough at this point. So you go ahead with your final thoughts. 
Yeah, we will definitely have to wait and see. I mean, clearly the Mandalorian is speaking to some people. I know a lot of people who are excited for it, and it's like, okay, why are you excited for it? It's like, okay, if you like Boba Fett, it's not Boba That's Fett. That's my worry. That's my worry is it becomes you know a Boba Fett saying? show, yeah. So it it, make, it makes me wonder, so one or two things is going to happen if that's what they're trying to appeal to these people it's like it, one they're going it's going to be a Boba Fett light hashtag and, more worthless uh, than Phasma you're welcome and, and people are going to like it for that reason or these people are going to go in expecting it to be Boba Fett and it's not Boba Fett and I totally agree fans, with what you just said yes and these fans will turn on to it so I think people are connecting to the Mandalorian for things that they want to see that the Mandalorian may not be or maybe a pretender to the throne for lack of analogy terminology so we'll, we'll see I think the Mandalorian should be its own thing instead of trying to incorporate this hunger from a certain type of fan for content around somebody who I do like him in Empire Strikes Back. I do see his appeal in Empire Strikes Back. But once you get to Return of the Jedi is, and stuff like that, you kind of like do that. But the Mandalorian, what, what I'm trying to say is the Mandalorian should be his own show. And it shouldn't try to be this copycat or appeal to something it's not. You know what I'm saying? I agree with you. Again, I trust in Filoni and Kathleen. Um, and if this is the show they're launching Disney Plus with... Look, let's say the Double D's thing is neutral at best in terms of who it's appealing to. Um, there's a lot of fans, Jaggy Girl, who love Last Jedi and Rogue One who also like the Old Republic stuff, like myself. Um, That's true. That's so true. I'm going to make them neutral, okay? So let's even say the Mandalorian is for the OT crowd. We'll say Double D's are neutral, but Cassian, Clone Wars... And uh, Ryan Johnson is clearly for the new fans. So that's three out of four, four and a half for the new fans. So I'm actually going to bump Mandalorian towards neutral at best. They're definitely going to try to appeal to us in making references. I know you don't like Solo. The number of references that that um, jo- that um, uh, uh, Larry Kasdan's son John put in for the Clone Wars and the prequels in Solo is staggering. I watched it. I watched it once. Watch, looking at like a document that someone put together of all the references. There's dozens of references to Solo to the prequels and the Clone Wars. Is that just a little fan service? Sure, but clearly, you know, Larry Kasdan's own son understands it better than him. You know, and people are crediting him with putting in the things in Solo that us fans who like that stuff, you know, also love. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't think Solo was an A-plus movie. There was a lot of reasons. Um, but it, it's great moments are, are, are great for me. Um, and, you know, if The Mandalorian can do something similar and then build on it, uh, you know, I, I'll be in. But again, not having Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan in particular makes absolutely zero sense. Every television show and TV movie she's in kills, and people love Katie Sackhoff. She's, I mean, unless she gets killed during the original trilogy period, she's still, you know, king or queen of Mandalore as far as we know, right? I mean, so, I don't know. I don't know. But I agree with you. I'm worried that it becomes the Boba Fett special or playing to people who want the Boba Fett special. But I... I can't imagine Filoni would do it. I mean, how much time did Filoni spend on Boba Fett in the Clone Wars? You know better than me. A couple episodes? It, he had quite a few arcs, actually. He Because, remember, he was with that bounty hunter crew. So, off the top of my head, 
you had at least he was hunting for Luke, right? But then he got his ass kicked. No, I, oh, that I'm was not later. Ta- sorry, uh, you're talking Clone Wars. I, I'm yeah, talking, sorry, sorry. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, talk- I'm talking the new comics. Yeah, yeah. You, if you're talking new comics, yeah, he was only in that first two volume, the first volume of Vader and the first volume of Star Wars, and then he wasn't prominently featured. But in Clone Wars, you know, there there was a lot of him in Clone Wars. But yeah, so but well, what I'm trying to say is is as a fan, it would be selfish of me to say that they, these things should not exist. I'm glad that they exist to appeal to a fan that isn't me because everybody's different. And I'm glad the show is out there. I don't love it as much as some people do. And I'm glad that the Mandalorians appeal to people. I wish it was something else. But mm-hmm. that was makes us all great. It's we like other things. And I'm glad that Star Wars appeals to people that the same thing doesn't appeal to me because... That is a healthy franchise, in my opinion. If everything appeals to one type of person, that sounds like a very boring fandom. Yeah, my my enthusiasm for the Double Ds. And by the way, I've been crushing Game of Thrones on the podcast regularly since I started four years ago, even though I've seen maybe... 60% of the episodes, and I watched the first three seasons and then handpicked the episodes. I saw some of the final episodes. I love the final episode. It's a feel-good episode of Game of Thrones. Everyone else was upset. I liked it. Um, I love Amelia Clark to death, uh, some of those other actors. Uh, the reason I'm excited is because Lucas so blatantly stole from Frank Herbert's Dune in terms of the desert messiah and the prophecy, and then it turned out it was the son and daughter of the guy who was actually maybe the the, the chosen ones, and who's really the chosen ones, and how do we see the future and using the force and you know rallying desert, you know being the desert messiah and rallying people behind you. I mean, it's so clearly it's taken from Dune, but also taken from Dune is Game of Thrones. The houses and the political maneuvering, even the language they use about the houses and the political maneuvering, is completely taken from Dune. Um, and so I'm hoping they sort of triangulate all of that together and bring that Dune influence into what they're doing in the better parts of Game of Thrones. Because let's be honest, Star Wars can be dark, but in the end, you need to have good guys that we love and get behind in Star Wars. That's what makes it Star Wars. In Game of Thrones, they had no such requirement. And so if they bring some of that dark adultness to uh, Star Wars, but they have to have some like actual out-and-out good guys, like you know Khaleesi being a good guy or whatever, um, then... I, I I, I think it'll work really well. And so I'm actually more optimistic about whatever they're doing that the Mandalorian, because I agree they've done such a poor job of giving us lore between six and seven, I think is the problem. And now between the Mandalorian and the four episodes, was it four Kylo comics or whatever? Yeah. It's that are coming out. I mean, it's just, it's too little to, in the battlefront too, you know, which had its high points, but was way too short. And, contradictory like it's just too late in some ways at this point and so i'm not sure timeline wise what what they're going to do so from a lore point that's my concern again from a ground level standpoint my concern is i just am not on board with the actors and all the directors and stuff that i've seen so far but we will see well, well, here, here's the thing about it. It is we've been there with the Clone Wars and not the Clone Wars, the prequel trilogy. When the prequel trilogy was happening, there were stories happening taking place in between these films that felt a little out of place because we didn't have the whole story. So it, for me, in my opinion, I look at it like either you have everything and then you have the, these issues that don't you you, you force. It, 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 it's not a win-win situation. If you do these stories while the films are going on, 
something gets lost, like I said, look at the prequel trilogy. Look, look at between 99 and 2005, the extended universe at that point in time. And then you, this time you had such a drought that, you know, so it, it, it's, it's not an easy situation to navigate when it comes to mm-hmm. content. It's not as easy as we should have had the story of the Knights of Ren three years ago. To me, it, it, it's not that simple. Yeah, I think if they had to redo this, like again, if they had the chance to redo Solo and, you know, and so forth. Um, I think they would have pushed Cassian more up front and the Clone Wars sooner. Um, it would be my opinion. Especially Cassian is something any viewer can get behind, you know? Uh, I, yeah. I think, I think the problem was is when the sequel trilogy was going on, they should have had something else going on to occupy fandom. Like, I think Rebels was really good. You know what I'm saying? But I think you ha- if you had a different story going on, like the Clone Wars, the conclusion of the Clone Wars, if you had other things going on, it might have distracted, hey, some of the fans from being like, hey, we, you know, this story isn't what we, we need it instead of letting things, but you know what I'm trying to say? But I don't know. That's, that, that, that's, that's, that's the great thing about the MCU is you have this, or before you had this storyline that you're following, but you had the films that told their own story. So while they were part of this larger story, you weren't really, it didn't feel like it was lacking. You know what I'm trying to say is, so I think that their mistake was that they should have had other things going on. More, you know what I'm trying to say to get the attention of uh, our fans. You know what I'm saying. Well, we will see. So let us table this until we get more information because come the end of this year, we'll have had the Mandalorian and Episode Nine, and we'll see yep. a lot more. All and I'm going to say Jedi- is, guys, don't put your hopes in one or two things with Episode Nine in particular. Just be open to whatever happens in that movie. And if you like it, you like it. And if you don't, you don't. But I don't want to see another movie split the fan base over a single issue, a single character, or a single relationship. I'm sick of it. It's immature, and it's not understanding what's going on. And the, the fact that Rogue One is aging great, and even Last Jedi is aging better than maybe some people would have thought, just shows that that's the, the you know people's hot takes is not what ends up happening in the end all i have to say is because we're wrapping up here is we forgot about jedi Fallen order we have that this year as well uh, along with the other don't hold your breath but but um the 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 fandom when it comes to star wars has been like there's very few things that didn't split the fandom i mean going back all the way to ewoks there's some people who hate ewoks you know what I'm saying? So Star Wars has always been decisive uh, since then in some way or another. It's just that we live in a hypersensitive uh, social media age that is a lot more emphasized and stuff like that. So it's, it's always been a part of Star Wars. So I don't think Episode Nine will be this miracle film that everybody will love. It's not. And, and I, I think it's going to end up... Uh not satisfying anyone who goes into it with specific expectations of any kind will not be satisfied because jj like joss whedon is a troublemaker and some of the stuff joss whedon did in age of ultron was specifically to rankle the hardcore fans and they did not like it and they've reacted against ultron i'm not saying this is going to be like ultron but whedon and jj abrams don't like being told what to do by the public uh, even if they're trying to please people and give a great movie, they're just trying to make a great movie, and you either like it or you don't. So, 
you know, TV shows are different. There's so many episodes. It's so long. You invest in it. You binge it. You don't binge it. Or you watch it a year later. You know, I'm I'm less good of a judge about TV, whether TV shows are going to be good because I just don't spend as much time analyzing and watching them. But movie-wise, I, you know, I think Episode Nine is going to do great commercially. And like The Force Awakens, the average American is going to love it and the hardcore fans are going to nitpick themselves to death. But that is the nature of the beast. Exactly. Couldn't have said it any better. All right. Well, it was wonderful to have you on. Um, and uh, God, I hope DD23 doesn't completely overturn the last two hours and 15 minutes of recording. Because <laughs> this is definitely not coming out before the Mandalorian trailer. Sorry. It's not happening. Maybe. It's possible. But I don't, when are they supposed to drop it? Knowing Disney, they'll drop it at like five in the morning, which is what they normally do. Uh, I do. I, I have yeah. no idea when the panel is, but I, I think that the Disney Plus uh, panel is supposed to be the first. I, it's supposed to be the highlight tomorrow, so it will probably be the first panel. Well, it's great to have you on. It's great to talk Marvel with you, too. I mean, we could always talk Star Wars forever, but it was, it was a really fun Marvel discussion. I mean, it was so fantastic. We could have gone for another two hours. We could have gone for another four hours because there's so much to talk about with Marvel and Star Wars. I am loving both of it. And yeah, I, I'm so excited to talk more in the future. Like I said, we could keep talking, but I have laundry to do. I'm sure you want to get to bed, but that, <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, promote. Go ahead. You can find me everywhere at Jedi Geek Girl. You can find my podcast any on any podcatcher at Ivy Bell, our Star Wars Destiny podcast, where we talk about the dice and card game Star Wars Destiny. And uh, yeah, you can find me everywhere at Jedi Geek Girl and reach out and tell us what you think. Awesome. Check check yourself out, guys. You will enjoy it. She's a great follow online. Um, and. Uh, Always enjoy these conversations today, girl. So thanks for being on. Thank you, Bizzlecast listeners. Uh, may the force be with you. But for now, the Bizzlecast is out.